Audio conversation with Karis Melina Brown, recorded Wednesday, July 18th, 2012. Now, this is a long interview. It is about, uh, it's getting close to three hours long but by, by the time it's all said and done. I don't want to waste too much time uh, in this little intro. You'll figure it out. Now, Karis uh, claims to be a star seed, and that has its own definition. Uh, let's just say she is somehow intertwined with the UFO contact phenomena. And during the interview, we spend a goodly amount of time, you know, sort of working on what that definition might mean. Uh, also, um, just be forewarned, uh, I will often say that these audio interviews, for me, are therapy. Um, it sure comes true in this one, because uh, Karis plays in essence, a therapist using her intuitive psychic skills uh, to give me a reading. Um, it gets pretty personal, and I'm, uh, I didn't hold anything back. There's a very few little things that I edited out, um, not much, just some stuff that wasn't really relevant to the, to the topic at hand. Um, I did leave a lot in. I, I, I really feel it's important that I be as honest as I can possibly be in these podcast things. So you get to hear me being honest, and you get to hear Karis uh, responding to some of the stuff I share. You know, it's it's to me it was interesting. I, who knows what you'll think. Um, if you don't like it, just fast forward through. And yes, I do realize it is a, a lot like eavesdropping in on a therapy session between a client and his therapist. That said, it, it it's there's some vital stuff in there. I'll also add at the very, very end, um, I tack on a few minutes of extra dialogue between Karis and I than that took place when we first connected on Skype. We had a little conversation before the interview started. And there's a few little uh, things in there that I thought might be interesting, so I left them in. This interview is very close to three hours long. Please enjoy. Karis, I want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thanks, Mike. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really looking forward to whatever we unravel here. <laughs> okay, now you have two books out. One is called Journal of a Starseed, and the second book is called... Instruction of a Starseed. It kind of continues where the first left off. And um, the, are these self-published? Yes. Are they small scale. <laughs> do you, are they in paper or only in ebooks? books uh-huh. Um, they're both paper. The first one's on Kindle, too, and the second one I just haven't gotten around to putting it on Amazon to be available for Kindle. But both of them, you can buy the paper versions through Amazon, and you can get the PDF versions on my websites, which are named the book titles, so journalofastarseed.com and instructionofastarseed.com. And now the part of the reason I, I wanted to contact you is I had heard you interviewed on a series of uh, podcasts, including the one that Joe Montaldo runs, and um, you, in my, I mean, I feel like I've immersed myself in this field to a degree, and you represent, um, I guess, a younger, like a newer generation compared to like crotchety old guys like, <laughs> like Joe and I. Uh, so, and that was, and I'm quite honest, I'm quite serious when I say that. I just, I think that there's something different about about what I see in uh, younger people that are stepping into this role, and and um, you know, in in you seem to be representative of a handful of folks. Yeah, um, Joe's told me the same thing that he's been noticing how um, the people roughly my age coming up now—it's like the next wave—seems to have had a bit of an easier time 
how even though we've had some sketchy experiences like you know anyone and what I say about that often is it doesn't matter who's operating on you if you're in an operation and you wake up whether you're doctors be ET or human you're still gonna flip out and that's kind of how I see the abduction phenomena because also the thing that's less publicized is how many times people have a um, physical condition that then mysteriously goes away after they've been abducted and that's not that's not something that you'll see a lot of because of the fear-mongering of our media but it is something that happens I don't know that happens every time I don't think it does but it happens often enough to say that it happens like so, some sort um, of healing will take place mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep and so I think that I think that stuff like that's happened for a lot of us I know some peers of mine who are very much on the same page that I am who've had experiences where they've woken up on tables, experiences where they've, um, a friend of mine knows she's had a pregnancy that was then taken. Um, so things like that, that have happened. But on the other hand, something's going on with our psyche, according to, you know, um, like Joe, and according to things that you're saying too, that somehow we're kind of wired to make us not um, mind as much or something as the previous wave. So... I, I don't know. I think especially with the women, now that I'm thinking about it, it seems like the my fellow contactees and abductees don't have, like, some type of emotional fraying that happens to the previous wave. But perhaps it's all, also just because we haven't been at it as long. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer. But I, I do see what you're talking about. Now, now when you say wave, there's I'm just going to reference a book which I have not read uh, by Dolores Cannon, and I think it's called The Three Waves of Abductees or The Three Waves of yeah. Contactees. I can't remember the title properly. Yeah, um, And I've heard her interviewed, and I have uh, two of her books here on the shelf, and, and uh, those books are mostly channeled material. Um, well, I guess channeled material is a weird way to say it. It's stuff that came through during hypnosis sessions that she had done with her patients. Um, mm-hmm. So the patients uh, very much may have no, you know, they, they're they're you know completely empty vessels in a way. I don't think it makes any difference. She may be treating them for you know to quit smoking, but what happens is they will then start speaking as if uh, they are channeling from a, from an outside source. And, uh, you know, she'll do one session in Arkansas and then she'll go to Japan and do another session and the person will pick up right where the previous session had left off as far as the channeled voice. And that's where she got the information about the three waves. And I think the one, two, three waves, the first wave would be folks that are older than me. Um, and then they have a set of experiences that, that form a pattern. And then there's a middle set, which I feel like I would fit into and then there's a third wave which which is uh seems to be defining you with people who are having much more positive experiences as well as um being very open to sharing their stories ah yeah i i've heard her speak of it and i know of the book i haven't read it but um it's on my list you know to plan to read it. but I know that when I heard her speaking of the waves, the second wave, the same one you say um, that resonates with you, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that exactly matches my dad, my father. The first wave or the second wave? The second. The second wave, and my father is in his early, mid-50s. So, yeah, um, it definitely, I I hear you, and it makes sense. And I don't remember what she said about the third wave. I think in the interview I was listening to, I don't think she got to the third wave. I think she mostly was talking about the first wave and second wave. But it makes sense. And I think that it's, 
connected somehow to a pattern I've noticed in family lines that have extrasensory perceptive gifts, like um, psychic gifts or I any of that kind of stuff, telekinesis or whatever, um, ESP, that kind of thing. It seems as if in all of these family lines, and I've spoken to other people and witnessed it for not just my own family where it does exist, but other families as well, that along the family line, because usually those type gifts travel, and along the line, there'll be people who cracked, you know, who were schizophrenic, who had to be committed, who somehow their their psyche just couldn't handle it. And I think that what's happening is our genetic codes are trying to evolve. And so it doesn't always work, you know. And so sometimes, and I think it also has things to do with, like, how healthy we keep our bodies, how easily the energy can flow, traumas that we have that might block our energy. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why I... I'm raw and take Ormus and do lots of meditation and exercise and do yoga just so I can hold it, you know, because there's so much coming through. And and you say um, family lines with genetic gifts. Now, would that describe your family? Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's funny because it hasn't really been out. Like um, if you go up the line with my family, for instance, my grandmother had a bunch of brothers and sisters. I think there was something like 18 of them total and all of the sisters they never talked about it they were pretty religious and um but they would all know like when something was wrong with the other or they if they needed to call them they would know or you know if something was going to happen they would get hunches and i think they did i know that they didn't consciously develop these things but they were definitely naturally there and i've heard on the other side of my family there were similar type things and so i think i think it's actually a lot more common than people think it is because most people don't develop it and like anything you know if you're never taught to develop it there how many fabulous piano composers are there out there that haven't ever touched a piano so yeah yes it's interesting because because i know that joe montaldo um talks about his family growing up all being basically psychic and how normal that was for him and what has happened to me in the last six or seven years is that I have been having what I call psychic flashes, which I cannot control. They just show up in my head. It is like a very clear, it's less a, less a voice, but almost like an instantaneous knowing. And for some reason, all these things in my experience aren't are very much based on this UFO research that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and oftentimes it's very personal stuff that's connected with this UFO research. So, um, you know, I, I, and I certainly cannot speak to my family directly because I would have to say that, like, no, there wasn't any of that in my family. Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. Oh, I, I agree. That, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's one of those trends. And also with the way that things evidence, I mean, if yours are coming through in flashes now and you're paying attention to them, it would probably be just as easy if you didn't have the interest that you currently have to not pay attention to them and say, oh, that was weird and tuck it away in that bottom drawer in their mind that most people put things like UFO encounters and, you know, psychic experiences and seeing ghosts and stuff and that can only get dredged up you know, every so often when the climate is just right and they feel safe enough to talk about them. So you're seeing them. I wonder how many people are having these things happen and don't notice. Yeah, and it is a little bit of a fight for me sometimes to, to just trust them. You know, mm -hmm. it almost mm -hmm. just feels like, uh, you know, the, the, the TV screen got interrupted for a half a second. I get this very clear vision, and then the TV goes right back to what it was. Um, so... Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, now you use a term, uh, star seed, and mm -hmm. and people have called me a star seed. Mm 
And I just want you to, I would love to get your definition. Sure. Um, well, I didn't come up with the term. It's been around for quite a few years, but it's only been in common usage for the past few years, I think. I'm not sure exactly the timeline of it, but I'm pretty sure that in the past five or so years, people have gotten way more aware of the term comparatively. And from my understanding of how it works, um, the, all of our souls are, you know, and soul being that piece of us that is our electrical system that downloads into our bodies no matter what body we live in during any given incarnation. And I do believe in reincarnation. I personally, and this is definitely an opinion, but I think that non-belief in reincarnation is kind of ridiculous because there's been so much to prove it from scientific and esoteric areas. I mean, even, you know, I've heard arguments that it used to be in the Bible and they've taken it out and all this other kind of stuff. So pretty much every wisdom tradition talks about it. And, um, and in many times in human history, it's just been totally normal. But anyway. Oh, here, so, here, I'm just going to, let me just interrupt one little thing about this is, sure. um, so there's a researcher, are you familiar with Leo Sprinkle? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, he's a beautiful, he's this guy. He's, I think he's 81 years old now. He lives in uh-huh. Laramie, Wyoming. He's been uh-huh. doing this research since the sixties. Well, since like 1961. So over 50 years now. And he, um, he created a test, like a like a checklist, like a questionnaire that he would ask folks that had. This was before the UFO abduction situation. It would just be people who saw UFOs, uh-huh. um, and so he created it. And he's been using the same checklist, the same questionnaire for fifty years now. So he's wow. got an incredible amount of data, and. You know, he just says the one thing he says about this, uh, you know, his collection of data is that uh, a couple things have come out. And one of the more pronounced things is belief in reincarnation is is statistically this is going back 50 years. He basically says it's at 100 percent where people who wow. have even seen UFOs seem to come in wow. at uh, at believing in and I don't know what it would be with the general public I assume it would be quite high but but that his his findings um are so high that that he basically just you know sums it up as 100% that makes perfect sense because also seeing I know I've been in a position where I could see the UFO but the person right next to me could and then couldn't see it and then could and then couldn't see it and I myself am looking at it and they're dancing around in the sky right over us but they're very small and way high up but making maneuvers that airplanes can't make that birds can't make you know like bouncing back and forth across the sky and they kept kind of winking in and out but it was a totally clear day and that to me says they were going interdimensional interdimensionally and so um i also think that something about your paradigms your mind what you think is possible keeps you from seeing them or allows you to seeing them to see them and the same thing with the cloud ships i've been with people because it can be a a sky full of of clouds and then one of them will be a cloud ship and i still cannot tell you exactly what it is that i'm seeing that lets me know it's a cloud ship but i've been with other people who can also see them and then we'll start comparing notes about what we're seeing. And it's kind of like looking at a magic eye book. And the longer you look at it, it transforms and becomes this other thing. And I know it's been accurate because the one person I saw it with, when there was one right over us, very low, but it looked like this ephemeral cloud. And then the more you looked at it, it stopped looking like a cloud. And my friend started describing aspects of it that she had no, because she wasn't into ufology. She had no way of knowing that that was what is on the ships. But I did know because I'd been told such things in meditation. And so she said, well, it looks metallic, 
but, and I said, oh, well, they're alive. And she said, oh, my gosh, that makes total sense because what I was about to say was that it looks metallic, but it looks like it has whale skin. And I don't understand how it could be whale skin when it's, it's metal. You know? And I said, oh, no, well, they grow them. They don't uh, build them. And she said, oh, that makes sense. And you know, we're pointing it out. And so all of these things are constantly corroborated among people who are, are in that set who can kind of open their paradigms enough to let this stuff in and look at it objectively without saying, oh, no, that, that goes against something that our still relatively inexperienced scientific community says is true or not. I mean, our current scientific community is not that old, and they don't know that many things. There's still a lot that we don't know. And, and the current scientific community is so entrenched in dogma that, uh, you know, this topic, you know, just what we're talking right now, would be dismissed with outright contempt by anyone, yes. uh, you know, well, even if they did have, if they didn't dis- dismiss it with contempt, they would, you know, they would dare not whisper their interest about it, or they wouldn't get funding for their next scientific, you know, uh, set of studies that they would be doing through their, whatever their university probably so. Definitely. Even though there are studies that corroborate it and that, you know... Oh, we can't look at those. Yeah. Yeah, let's ignore those. Yeah, let's... Don't even read them. Like the guy at UFA, UFA, UVA, University of Virginia, who did the um, past life uh, study with all the children who had the markings on their body of how their previous life had ended that they could remember. And then they could speak languages. They recognized people in these random villages and other countries. And he compiled like 30 years of research or something. And he took it to people and asked it to read it. And they wouldn't even read it. And he was from a reputable institution, had done a long study, and they wouldn't read it. And that to me says fear and dogma and and being terrified of having your reality shaken up. Um, they, are you familiar with the Arecibo message? I think is what it's referred to as. No. There was a crop circle going back probably less than five years, maybe around five years ago, um, might be more even, uh, where there's a radio telescope in England that scientists use to listen to transmissions and such from the stars. In the transmissions, that's the wrong way to put it. Um, yeah you know, astronomical studies, let me put it that way. And in the 70s, I think, they sent out a message to the Arecibo telescope where it had a a very, very simple code. And in that code, you know, had a, uh, you know, depiction of uh, where Earth was in comparison to the sun. It had a depiction of carbon, uh, the molecular structure of carbon, saying that we were basically carbon-based beings. They had a little uh, outline of a human figure and a few other small things, illustration of the DNA chain also. And that got sent out. And then there was crop circle right near this, I think it was called the Tribolton crop circle because it was right near the Tribolton listening station. So right next to a listening station, there was this elaborate crop circle that was exactly the same as the Tribolton signal, except the DNA was slightly different. The planets were slightly different aligned. The little wow. uh, outline of the figure, instead of being a you know anatomical human, looked like a little gray alien with a big head. Wow. And um, mm-hmm. instead of carbon... You know, there was a carbon molecule represented. It was silicone. Ah, I've heard that. Yeah, that they're silicone-based. So, so, but and so they basically the crop circle researchers went in, knocked on the door of the, of this of the a laboratory. You know, at the base of this telescope receiver, and said, "Well, you guys should come out here and take a look at the uh, this crop circle that formed in, right next to your building here," and 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 the scientists wouldn't even leave the building. Yep. Yep, I'm not surprised at all. And there are a couple things about that. The first, well, it's interesting that you said silicon because 
silica is something that a lot of star seeds um i was on a radio show one time i think it was called starseed radio academy and they said oh you don't take silica you should take it because you know it's good for your brain and stuff like that and a lot of star seeds really benefit from taking it so i started taking it and it was just this um this these drops that you put in water like 10 a day 10 drops in a glass of water once a day and the first day i took it it was as if my brain tingled and i was outside in my backyard in the grass and it was as if i could see the grass breathing and it was just the most amazing thing and then it evened out and i don't take it now cuz i ran out and i just hadn't gotten any more and i bet i'm going to order some as soon as we get off the computer but that's it's interesting because you know, back to the starseed thing, um, it would make sense that if if you do have some type of ET heritage gen- or DNA, um, or even just energy systems, that certain things would help you to become more yourself and help your physical body to kind of work better. And I think that silica works kind of similarly as Ormus, that usually it's more in our body, but our current lifestyle kind of leeches us leech us of it, like with EMFs and not eating fresh organic fruits and vegetables as much that carry these things more strongly. And I also think super interesting, and this is kind of beef, some beef I have with the scientific community, which there's a lot of it because I think that some things they do are just kind of ridiculous. But why do we think that something that's um, evolved enough so it can travel faster than the speed of light in and out of dimensions have completely clean energy would use radio signals to communicate we barely even use radio signals to communicate anymore and we're only a hundred years into our propulsion evolution so it, it's just hilarious to me and they and they don't take into account things like contactees who have regular conversations with these ETs which happens all over the world and but but they'll do radio signals that it just blows my mind there's a a cartoon and it's it's a, a friend of mine his name is Mac Tonys he he passed away in 2009 but um he you know had this cartoon that he he posted it on his blog and said you know like this is the one cartoon I wish I had written and it shows these two ants and they're like they're drawn pretty crudely but they're obviously like on the you know like on the tiles of like a kitchen floor uh-huh. and the Two ants are saying, we have searched these tiles for the appropriate pheromone-recepting trails that would indicate life beyond our realm, and so we have now concluded that there is no other life beyond us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, Oh, so let me just jump back to the to that now, to make things even stranger, that, that um, Arecibo or Chilbolton design that showed up in the crop that the scientists wouldn't look at, um, uh, there is a crop circle researcher named Colin Andrews, and uh, he came forward and got a lot of flack from from the UFO research community or whatever the crop circle true believers, and said that you know due to his research and due some inf- due to some information that he received, he found that that crop circle was not genuine. Um, hmm. And I don't know quite what that means. And he is now. Here's another thing that came out recently. Uh, Colin Andrews is. Uh, Within, I think it was just in the just at the very last weeks of 2011. So you know, you got right at the dawn of 2012. He makes this announcement at a conference that he is in fact an abductee. So he must uh-huh. be in his he must be in his close to 70 maybe. And he has been doing this research. He's actually the person who coined the term crop circle in England. Wow. And uh, so here he is, like, basically saying, like, uh, oh, yeah, me too. I'm, a cro- I'm an abductee too. I'm a contactee too. And uh, we spoke just briefly before we started this, this uh, uh, you know, this interview thing here. And, uh, 
you know, that was one of the things I said is like, like I, I have this suspicion that it's, you know, it's probably not a hundred percent, but it's probably a very high percentage of the people who are doing this kind of research are in fact, uh, abductees or contactees. And some of them may not know it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but, uh, you know, it, that, that did not surprise me and it doesn't surprise me. It almost surprised me when people aren't contactees or abductees and they're doing this kind of research. Same here. Cause why would they be attracted? You know, it's like you talk to some people about it and their eyes glaze over and they start looking past you. And then you talk to other people about it and they really perk up and like light up and lean in and start saying, oh, really? And it's easy to see. And there are tons and tons and tons of contactees, tons of star seeds. It's not rare at all. You and know? and yeah, and I suspect there is some sort of continuum where some people are getting um, lots of contact um, it's interceding with their lives in way that ways that force them to take the subject seriously. And then others may have had just fleeting contact, you know, so I don't know where, I mean, this, this, that continuum, um, is anyone's guess because we're dealing with a phenomena that, that can cloak itself and it can also hide memories. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I even struggle with now is I know I don't remember the half of what happens. Um, I'm getting more and more all the time, though. I've been making requests, and then I'll have this crazy memory. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was um, asking if I could remember more because I'd been told by people that they had seen me on the ships, and uh, like a lot of people in a relatively short period of time. Like, oh, like a lot of people, meaning like, like how many people? Well, it was in about a two-week period. It, I mean, not that many, but coming from no one saying it ever, it was maybe about six people in about two weeks. Good grief! So. I mean, that's now. See, to me, I, I I look at that that bit of information, and you know, and were you at the same time making sort of uh, uh, requests, like like putting out intention to get information back? From the um, universe? I'm not sure. Maybe, but I, I kind of always am. That's kind of part of my okay, thing. Okay. So I'm not sure if it was more than usual. I think I think it was a vibratory thing. I think that uh, I was at a spot where I could handle it, where where I was ready to do more things. So so you know so within two weeks you get a repeated uh, you getting the same message over and over again from different people, right. and it's coming. Um, so this is just this is part of a pattern that and I say this stuff over and over and over again and people who listen to this podcast series are just going to roll their eyes and say like you know get on with it Mike <laughs> but but there's something going on that that makes it very difficult for me to say that you know what is happening is uh, you know metal spaceships flying here full of scientists from another planet. Um, um, just, I, yeah, I don't believe that that's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 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 I interrupted you, which I'll probably do more than you know a no, lot here but so let's so so you said so let's just jump back you said you were people were telling you over and over again that they had seen you on ships yes and in a um in like a comforter role so not just like walking around and staring off into space but um interacting with them for instance or um interacting with other people and kind of soothing them and helping them which is something that joe told me he, it was his opinion that I was probably going to do because I had started kind of early in my life, um, years-wise, versus a lot of other people. And he said that he thought it it matched up with people who he knew who ended up being what he calls keepers. Yep, I just wrote keeper down on the paper here, just as you're uh-huh. saying that. 
Uh-huh. And then I had people come to me and say, oh, my gosh, I was on a sh- I was ha- having this, you know, experience and I was on a ship and I was so scared. And then there was this woman standing in front of me well, floating in front of me, comforting me, telling me she loved me, telling me it was going to be OK, that I was safe. And then I felt calm. And then the next day I realized that I knew that person and I was searching my brain, couldn't figure out who it was. And then I figured out it was you. Or I've, told, or I've heard from other people, yeah, I've been seeing you on the ship since we were little. And I remember seeing you there when we were little. And I remember seeing you there as we've grown up. Now, no, and- just I have to interrupt because these are sort of pragmatic questions here. Now, were these people who, like, grew up near you? So that, so- no, no. Across the country, um, sometimes in different countries, never seen them before. One, um, the, the first one I said, she had met me on a Skype call, on a group Skype call for a project I was working on the week before. And then she said, I, she remembered me because I have a mole on my face. And she said, I recognize that. Where have I seen that before? And then she was kind of you know, going through her brain files to figure it out. And she realized it was me. And so after all of this, I, I made the really strong request because what happens is I communicate with them on a mental telepathic level pretty much constantly whenever I want to. I go into formal meditations about once a day and get information and write it down, you know, ask questions or just ask for general stuff. And then also throughout the day, if I contact, if I like kind of open up my link, then they're there and we talk or whatever. But when I'm about to have a physical contact, when I see a UFO in the sky, when I can feel the presence near, which is kind of similar to feeling ghosts around, but it's not the same. It's definitely a different flavor. Um, But if people have felt a ghost in the house and they'll know what I'm talking about. Or... um, Whenever I, I think something's coming, I get freaked out, terrified. And the one abduction that I've been allowed to remember in recent years that was totally physical, I was flipping out. I was throwing a tantrum like a three-year-old. You know, I was really scared and fully into fight or flight. And I think that that's part of trauma stored in the physical body that doesn't go into, you know, the astral bodies and the etheric bodies. Um, and I also think it might be something having to do with our development as a species and that it's this weird paradigm shift that whenever I'm going to see them and they come around, I start shaking. I can be having a conversation with a friend or another energy worker and we can start to talk about them and we can feel them start to come in and my body will start shivering as if I'm cold. And that's a trauma reaction and it's a trauma release, an energy release reaction. And I won't be necessarily afraid then. I'll just be shaking and I'll notice it and I'll say, oh, ooh, something's happening because I started to shake. But anyway, I asked them, I said, okay, well, if I'm acting as a keeper or as, you know, an ambassador type person on these ships, then I must not be freaking out on some level. Like, I must have gotten over this. And so I want to be there. I don't want to be here. I want things to progress, but I don't want to be in fear. And the response was, well, understand that you will remember, okay, if you remember everything will shift because what you're afraid of, you won't be afraid of anymore because you will have realized you already have been through it. And I kind of had an idea of, you know, this gigantic ship decloaking in the sky, whereas normally I'll freak out. But if I remember all the times that I've seen it, where my memory has been wiped, then of course I wouldn't freak out. And they essentially said everything will change because you'll start kind of being a different person because you'll start having all these experiences that would shape you, but that aren't shaping you because they're wiped. Are you sure you want the activation? The question came, are you sure you want it? Because everything will shift. And I was like, heck yeah, you know, of course. How do you say no to that? Of course I want to know what's been going on. And I was sitting there in meditation and my body started jerking and convulsing as if I were being electrocuted. And I wasn't. I felt fine, but I felt all these chills going through my body and my body was 
physically moving and jerking and shaking as if I were being electrocuted. And um, that went on for a couple of minutes. And then after that, I remembered more details of an interaction that I had. And since then, that was kind of one of the catalysts that a bunch of stuff has started coming. Inspirations have started coming a lot more frequently. Synchronicity has been out of control. I've started... <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but... So. Uh, oh, no, true. Yeah, it's hilarious. I've gone completely raw again, which makes a huge difference. I've started taking Ormus, which is huge, which oh, I haven't done in a few years. Say what's Ormus. Ormus. Um, it's spelled O-R-M-U-S, and it's a monoatomic element. Ordinarily, it's made from gold. I have a hunch that it's easier to make from gold, and that's why they use gold to make it, but I'm not sure. I'm not really well-versed in the in the science of making Ormus. And apparently, it's it's always in our body, but kind of like the silica thing, it's leached out of us by EMFs and by polluted food and stuff like that. And um, the more of it you have in your body, it kind of restructures your DNA because it fills in holes that are normally there. So it's good for aging, good for illness, good for mental clarity. People have taken it who have then be- had reverse um, development, so been kind of healed, you know, with quote fingers, of things like dyslexia, ADD. Um, when I was taking it the first time and raw at the same time, the two kind of go hand in hand for me. My body structure changed. My I my frame got leaner. I wasn't trying to lose weight. I lost about 20 pounds, and that was a lot for me because I only started off weighing about 100, like under 120. Good grief. Uh, I know, and I wasn't trying to lose weight at all. And I didn't necessarily look thinner. My body just became, and I was mus- my muscular tone increased, um, and I wasn't working out that much. I was doing kundalini yoga a few times a week, and that was it. And my eyes got brighter and more iridescent. My teeth got whiter. My facial bone structure became more symmetrical. And I had been flat-footed my entire life, and arches appeared in my feet, and I wasn't flat-footed anymore. And um, uh, this was the combination of raw food and the Ormus. Yes. And that's also when I, real- I started to realize that I was a contactee. It was all the same, time, the same like three-month time period. And, and when got- would this have been? That was in early 2010. Because on the, I was staying with friends in Texas. Early 2010. Okay, so wait a minute. So I'm just going to interrupt. So early 2010, you first realized you were had some sort of contact experiences. It's presently mid 2012, so we're talking just slightly over two years, and you've already written two books, and and you have a, a website and a blogs, and mm-hmm. it's as if some activation thing went off, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm on now. My beacon is lit. Yeah, it's very strange. It's it's not uncontrollable. I mean, I could choose not to do it, but could it's, you? Could you? Let me just ask you. I'm going to summon a plate. Like, it's happy because I love it and I'm into it. And it's, I mean, in the very beginning when I thought I was like completely just ridiculous and I didn't know what was going on, it bordered on obsession. You know, I would sit in front of my computer for 12 hours at a time and do information binges normally, ordinarily. And, um, and that was before I even thought, I even knew that there was even such a thing as a contactee. I, I had no idea what that was. And then I was having, because I had already been well-versed in meditation and esoteric studies, but not related to UFOs. I'd done a master's thesis on exceptional human experiences, but I'd mostly done it on psychic experiences and seeing into other dimensions. It's funny because one of the exceptional human experience um, categories, there are seven or eight of them, is ET, UFO encounters, abductions, that type of thing. And when I wrote my thesis, every time I wrote that, I would skip over that one. Like I would write it, but I wouldn't even look at it. And now I recognize a mental block because all the rest of them I researched. And that one I would just type quickly and move on. And that was in 2008. Well, here, I, let me just ask, how old are you? I'm 29. 29, okay. Keep, okay, thanks. I just was curious. Oh, no problem. Um, so, yeah, where was I? Hmm. Where were you? Uh, uh, um, raw 
uh, arches appeared in your feet. Um, so, and, oh, and I was meditating a lot as always. I mean, I've, I have meditated a lot for several years now and all of these spirit guides started coming through. And there was this one day I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom and I realized that the room was full full of entities and I got really scared and now in retrospect I realized that they're ETs but all I knew at the time was they were in another dimension but they were filling the room and I got really scared and I did this really heavy duty clearing that I had used before when I would exercise a space of of negative entities or harmful ghosts Um, and so I did this huge clearing of you know anything the intention was anything that isn't of the you know highest intention here like and because I wasn't sure and it just seemed so there were so many and I got really scared and so I did I created this huge vortex in the room and swirled the energy around and called in all the you know clear out kind of guys that I know and and asked them to come and then afterward everything calmed down and and that took I don't know a couple minutes things like that usually go pretty quick for me and everything calmed down it's like the tornado stopped and they were still there and they were kind of like, no, really, we, we're really friendly. It, you know, we've always been here. And it was kind of, I felt slightly chastised, not because they were chastising me, because I was like, oh, my bad. I just like attacked you and you're actually my friends. And then, um, and then they essentially gave me this whole spiel on how you have your physical family and then you have your soul family on earth who you meet um, and feel that instant connection with. And then you also have your soul family who isn't incarnated and they act as guides and, um, and they're not always ETs. You know, people have just humanoid spirit guides. They have angelic guides, um, Davic nature guides, animal guides. You know, it, it, it's kind of across the, the bridge there, everything. But, um, but what they essentially have said since, and the way it's been described to me that I absolutely love, and this goes for any guide, but definitely for ETs the way that I'm related to them, is it's as if you're playing a video game. When I was in college, my boyfriend at the time loved this uh, video game that was a driving game, and I sucked at it. Like, I, I never played it, but I would sit next to him and be his co-pilot and look at the map. So he could look at the road that he was driving down, and I could look at the map and say, okay, go left, go right. And he never had to look at it, so he did a lot better in the game than someone who didn't have someone next to them saying, okay, this is what you do, and had to take time to look at the map. And they essentially said that we can see the map. You know, and so that's how we give you directives. And we're not there. We're not incarnate in physical form. But we can we get a better view of the situation and so can give you um, advice that you just don't have the perspective to see because you're so focused on that you're doing at the moment. Huh, this is this is interesting. And in, in, um, I'm not sure how, what question I asked to start all this. But uh, le- so let's just go back. So the definition of the starseed. Starseed. So you've got the souls reincarnating over and over, you know, bajillion times. I don't know how many times. But it makes sense to think that all of them wouldn't incarnate on Earth. They're the universe is infinite and now we're finding out i love how you know the scientific community is slowly feeding this information like oh well there are lots of stars that could have habitable planets that's going it's gotten to beyond lots of stars it just seems like they now it just seems like every time i you know check some sort of little science website it's it's they're finding you know what you know last week has since been triplicated or quadruplicated or you know (laughs) Yeah, and then it's like, oh, and now we find out that there are Earth-sized planets, and now we find out that they're in the life zone, or whatever it's called, where it's not too hot, not too cold, which is, you know, by our standards, like, who's to say that something else can exist at a totally different temperature range with totally different elements making up its life form, but anyway, with our limited viewpoint, and it's coming out more and more and more all the time, Um 
So, and that's just really fun to see. But anyway, and that's just humanoid type. But it makes sense to think that we wouldn't all be from Earth. You know, we've incarnated different planets, had different experiences, maybe even different dimensions, lots of lives not even in a physical form the way that you and I would define physical. And sometimes someone incarnates on Earth who's mostly or recently or generally or whatever not incarnated on Earth, but had incarnations in different spots. And when that happens, um, and this is uh, the second, so that's the first definition of starseed. And then the second part of the definition is, uh, this is something that's a little bit harder for some people to kind of grab. And it took me a while to really grok it, you know, to get it in my head and, and really understand it and link it with the first. But when, when a baby is um, created in vitro, in a woman's womb, you know, um, the soul is like the seed, like the grain of sand, and the body grows like the pearl around the soul, you know? So it's like um, each soul grows its body. I mean, I think there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, which is why people who do have, say, past life recollections can recognize the people that they now know. They say it's something about the eyes, no matter what ethnicity you are, what um, race, what gender, anything, your eyes are always really similar, no matter what incarnation you're in, in some way that's hard to describe. So if the soul grows the body and you're used to incarnating in not an earthly body, then it makes sense that there might have to be adjustments made to that body so that you can survive in it and so that you can fit, literally fit in the body. So that's why a lot of women who are pregnant with star-seeded children have contact experiences and usually it runs in families so it's likely that if a woman is having a starseed she's probably a starseed and that's why abductions happen and women have these really vivid dreams sometimes abduction dreams sometimes not um really vividly colored dreams i've heard and missing time issues and and sometimes odd issues about the pregnancy the way they became pregnant or the birth sometimes both um oh and i'll just jump in i have been playing the role of uh investigator now it seems like I've been reading books about this subject for 25 years, and then I've been playing investigator for probably the last six, and I have heard so many. Like I don't, I like expect it now if I talk to a woman who uh, claims these experiences at some point during the conversation. I generally don't prompt it. They will tell me extremely strange stories about pregnancies, false pregnancies you know, the birth of their children. Uh, yes. So what you're saying is absolutely confirmed as far as my direct experience, you know, interacting with people who, who, who share, uh, who, who make these claims. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So those two things combined, I think are pretty much the definition of starseed. And there are also psychological and, um, experiential things that are kind of shared, not like, not every single time, like I've been saying, but generally starseeds have a feeling of being different, being odd from time that they're born. And it doesn't always necessarily mean a bad thing, but for many people, it is a feeling of being outcast and alone. They also often have extrasensory perceptions. Usually most, if not every single one starseed that I know is highly empathic so they can feel other people's emotions very very strongly and often it's even debilitating oh here i'm just going to jump in now so this is this is uh, so my mom uh she's uh-huh. actually um presently she has alzheimer's right now but she uh oh my gosh she, she would my dad would get a sore knee and then my mom would walk around and go like oh my knee is so sore you know and uh-huh. she would just say this stuff and then um and she even told stories of uh, which she would just tell these stories like they're like huh like she wouldn't wouldn't add any kind of uh, like you know she wouldn't take the next step and kind of contemplate you know what that actually might mean but she would um, 
uh, her sister died in probably 1950 when she was in her mid-20s. And her sister lived together with her, and they shared a bedroom in Detroit. And uh, the, the sister ended up dying of cancer, and part of the, oh the process was getting her leg amputated. And the, the sister would lie on the bed and basically say, like, oh, my leg itches, you know, and then my mom's leg would itch uncontrollably. So, uh-huh. so my mom uh, is one of the more empathic persons that I have ever had any encounters with, where she will actually manifest almost instantly, uh, like ailments that other people in the room have. Wow. Hey, didn't you just say that you didn't have psychic stuff? Right I in was your thinking head? about that as I was saying, and, <laughs> that, and so it's interesting. There's a sort of delineation where psychic fits in one tidy little box and empathy fits in another, and I just I didn't jump yeah. between the two. So. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so go so back to you were saying uh, we're. Oh, yeah. uh, um, uh, often star seeds are kind of obsessed with looking at the sky, which has always been true for me. Even in high school, when I was not spiritual at all, I was actually agnostic and would argue anyone to the ground that God could not exist or that God was a sadist and I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I would still be obsessed with the sky and looking at the sky, and everyone would make fun of me and say, Karis, are you doing that again? And I would say, What? It's gorgeous. How do you not see it? And no one else seemed to care. And it was just my weird thing, you know? And um, a lot of times, starseeds love looking at the night sky. They'll often adopt a constellation as their own. And what's your constellation? Orion. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's And the Pleiades are the ones that I feel most drawn to. Um, and let's see, what else? There's often a feeling of kindred. Um, you know, connection between starseeds when they meet. They feel like they've known each other forever. Have you been to a UFO um, conference? Only one, and it was in the very beginning. So I haven't. I've been meaning to go, and now that I'm back in the Los Angeles area, I'm here for, around for them. So I, w- I spent about nine months kind of away from everything out in the mountains, but um, now and, I'm back. And, and that's, I, I just am interrupting, but that, that's the reason I go to these those those UFO um, conferences. I just find a, I need that feeling of... of kindred friendship you know even though i'm in in a circle with complete strangers sure and it's a different type of friendship i mean it's it's like you can connect on more levels or something like more things can plug into each other than can with people who aren't open to that kind of stuff or who don't experience it you know whether or not they're open some people just are you know it's not their thing and that's no better or worse that's the thing like starseeds um I haven't met very many super egoic starseeds, actually. The starseeds that I know tend to be really nice people, but there's always a danger in any subpopulation of thinking that, oh, well, that means that we're better or that means that we're, you know, some, some in some way different with a capital D that makes our egos get stoked. And that's not true at all. Like, you know, there are so many beautiful things about the human race, regardless of where your spiritual, spiritual and possibly genetic heritage is from. But it's, it's interesting to be in that subpopulation and get such a different experience of life you know absolutely um oh this is this is fascinating this is going great um well how would you define there so i'm just gonna there's a lot of people i've met they looked me straight in the eye and they said like i'm a hybrid alien and uh they well a few people have said that to me and i will say that they have on each of these individuals have eyes so blue that they 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 are you know i've like i've never seen anyone with eyes as pale blue as the people who tell me this and i also um you know at first it sounds kind of crazy and then they'll tell me like this long elaborate stuff of of uh and one of the things that shows up is often that their parents were in the military 
uh, or their oh, father was in the military. Yeah, it gets gets. I mean, you the the blending of like so many. I mean, whatever you do, you're putting so many conspiratorial ingredients in the soup at a certain point that True. that uh, you know I'm I'm uh, at a loss. You know, how to say this? One one uh, UFO researcher, his name is Miles Johnson. Uh, like I was basically saying, like, how do you make sense of this? And he basically said, you can't make sense of it. All you can do <laughs> is just listen, set the information on the table and just let it set there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe someday it'll fall into place. Maybe it won't. Um, so so that was, you know, fair enough. That's good information. It's that's not the information a scientist might want or the advice. But uh, so um, so somewhere inner interwoven with this whole phenomena is this hybrid thing. Yeah. And that same hybrid star seed, uh, you know, like where's one begin and the other end? Uh, There might be, there might not be an answer for this, but. I can tell you, I honestly do not know. I mean, that's my growing edge right now is the hybrid thing because I had never considered myself a hybrid. I, I, I never thought about it. I thought that the the hybrid thing was a little woo woo even for me. I was like, okay, so how exactly does that work? Because I know I look like my sister. So, I, and but then again, it's come up super duper strong. Only for me, it's been like the past uh, three weeks, and people have been asking me if I was one, and I and, and I've said, well, actually, I've never considered that until your question and now I'm thinking about it and I don't know and so I guess the answer is I don't really know because even if even if it were true even if I were some type of genetic thing in, taken some of my parents DNA some ET DNA and implanted into my mother and you know even if all that true which is highly possible because my parents were using at least two sometimes three forms of birth control when they when they conceived me and both of my siblings and never did a condom break never did my mother forget to take a pill there was no way that she should logically be pregnant, but um, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna jump in. What's the it's like the sensitivity or the spiritual level of your siblings? Um, well, both of them are geniuses, but neither of them are especially spiritual. My sister is. Um, both of them have very kind of analog brains, you know, computer brains, and I'm kind of the emotional brain <laughs> of the family. Um, so they're they're a lot different than me. But they're definitely unique. And both of them would probably say, oh, whatever, I don't know, you know. But um, as someone who's more kind of has done research in this, I recognize very abnormal as far as general population stuff goes about both of them. And I know that when I was little um, and I had my imaginary friend, you know, who was actually a gray, um, my sister, it was not strange for me and my sister to talk about that. I don't really remember, but I know that I didn't hide it from her. And she and I would very likely both interact. I'm not sure, though. I can't confirm that. But that's the feeling I have. And there there are strange um, occurrences that happen in my family. Like, I was raised in a very highly religious household where none of my immediate family is still in that religion. But it was very... Um, and what was the religion? Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And it was a very fundamental type of Jehovah's Witness. There are different, you know, leniencies of everything, but we were pretty strict. And at one point, um, a relative of ours walked into a room and saw something happening with a My Little Pony. 
it now has... Well, okay, no, you got it. Okay, no, like, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, her... what was happening with the My Little Pony? You can't, I you can't think, just... I'm not, I've asked her, and she doesn't exactly remember, but what I, I have a hunch that what happened with the My Little Pony after hearing about other child contactees and what happens and, like, things that they're taught, I, I have a feeling, and I think this is what I've heard, it's kind of like in the back of my memory because I don't remember it. What I do remember is people talking about it later, um, is that the My Little Pony was glowing and floating. Oh, well, that's what they do. Have you seen the commercials? So right? they, they glow and float and fly. and, they, and so. Well, we were just playing accurately, right? But I've also heard that that's what the children are taught to do often when they're contactees, that they're taken and there are these classes that they're taught to do things like levitate objects and stuff like that. Um, and from then on, My Little Ponies were banned in my house. And God bless you for that. Yeah, okay, so, <laughs> so I'm just going to jump in. And, and, and uh, I... Uh, this is going to drive anyone listening to this thing crazy that I'm like interrupting so much. But no, um, I, uh, I, I I worked on the My Little Pony advertising campaign in the 1980s. So <gasps> that's what it was. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like so that's I, I just when when it comes time to go to heaven, I have a feeling there's going to be somebody get the, at the gates there with a little checklist and like, gee, Mike, um, everything looks pretty good here, but uh, yeah, about advertising those little crappy things, plastic things to little girls in the 80s. Uh, yeah, let's why don't you just wait over here and we're gonna like talk this over a little bit uh so um and i just posted something online about well probably over a week ago now uh where i went camping with my girlfriend and we laid out under the stars uh in the tetons and uh the sun was setting and we were seeing things in the sky that would obviously uh you know match the definition of satellites and things like that and we were kind of watching them just sort of trace their way across the skies beautiful i live in a you know a place where we're you know the sky watching is astounding i live at a real high elevation uh with very few cities nearby mm-hmm. and uh i used to work for you know like i used to work on the commercials for my little pony and so like if i want to make fun of something i will say you know just the same way that you know, you say on the commercial, they would say like, I love you, my little pony. Um, that was how every commercial ended. Um, and, uh, so I'm laying there on my back. We're side by side in sleeping bags, looking up at the sky. And then there's one little dot that seems a little odd compared to the other ones. And I looked up at it and I said, I love you, my little UFO. And it literally blinked at us in this, like, you know, really, it wasn't like a little subtle blink either. It like really you know, uh, flashed, uh, in response ah, to that comment. Yep. So yep. <clears throat> I don't have any, many, that's my only, my little pony, uh, story I have. So, so you have one and I have one now. So, well, that is, cr- I read that blog post of yours and I did not know the connection because I didn't know that in the commercials, they would say, I love you, my little pony, because I wasn't allowed to watch them God, because yeah, so. they were demonized. They were demonized you know? for good reason. Yeah, they were, yeah, they <laughs> were like, I was, I was in the meetings when the decisions were made, like how those little commercials oh, are supposed to be. And believe me, it is, uh, it is uh like no one was sitting around that meeting saying like aren't kids like full of joy and love let's like you know let's do something to benefit that you know that magical quality yeah so that oh, is it worked me. out and the funny thing is my mom told me very recently because i've been trying to dredge up the you know we all do our internal investigations to one to try to figure stuff out and connect all these disconnected thoughts and memories and i was asking her you know so what do you remember about my imaginary friend you know what do you apparently his name was chachi and my thought is i said that since i could talk 
So I'm thinking I was probably trying to say something extremely different, but I don't know what. And I don't remember saying Chachi, really. My mother says that that was what I called him. And um, and so I, I often wonder what the heck the word actually was. But um, anyway, I said, well, what what would it be like? And she said, well, you would just say that he, you would talk about strange things and say that he told you and you would be like brushing your My Little Pony's hair. That's, that is called interactive hair play in the, uh, lex- uh-huh. in the lexicon of the, some of the decisions that were made. At the, uh, <laughs> well, and... you had one customer that, that did it. Oh, I least. had more than one, believe me. Yes. I think that was like, that was, we were, we were like all the mind control things that you read about at MK Ultra and stuff. I think we were using the same techniques, yeah. but to get little kids, little girls to comb their ponies tails well it so, worked they were sparkly and pretty oh god i'm so sorry i apologize children. i apologize hey, what are you gonna do? it's harmless i think i don't remember being scarred by my little pony oh i'm scarred so only one of us is scarred so um uh anyway where were we going here so my little pony in your room yeah um and then it was demonized for the rest of the time but i'm pretty sure that my sister and i were involved in that you know situation so this is so interesting um <laughs> Uh, okay, here. Let, let, so, what do you? So, uh, what do you do for? Do you do work as a uh, like a uh, life coach or a healer? What's your? Yeah, like an intuitive. Um, I was doing life coaching for a while, and I've also done energy healing and stuff like that. And so now they're all kind of together. What I can, what what my specialization kind of is, is that I can pretty much look at someone's akashic record. So, so kind of see the the diorama of their life and their their self you know it's hard to kind of put it into words but essentially say okay what they are pretty much and where their difficulties are and I can usually see their best option like what kind of lights up the most from their current standing point um, as the best as far as their personal progression on this incarnation ghost you know so um and and give them the some information that they might not have but what usually happens is it's stuff that they already know but they talk themselves out of but i don't know that about them so usually when i say stuff to people there ends up being a lot of oh yeah you're right geez yeah i do need to get on that that kind of thing um it's really fun (laughs) i like doing it a lot so so during the back and forth little email sessions we did as i was asking you to do this interview one of the things because i read that and i heard you talking about it in another audio interview and one of the things i asked was like "Ooh, would you want to do that to me or like you know play the role of life coach intuitive and have me be the client patient yeah and you said yes uh-huh. Now, how does how would that work if we were if we were to do it? Well, if we were to do it, I would ask. Um, well, first, I'd ask you to take several deep breaths. Usually, on a full out um, a full out session, I would have someone do a specific breathing exercise for me. But it takes kind of a long time, and it involves kind of a lot of silence. So, what I'll say now is just inhale and exhale a few times slowly, but go to where your lungs are actually uncomfortable, like you're so full that you're stretching your lung tissue and hold that for a couple seconds and then go down so empty that your lung tissue is like compressed in kind of an uncomfortable way and hold that out for a couple seconds. And what that does is it oxygenates your body and gets all the tiny little folds in your lungs that don't usually get oxygen to them to be oxygenated and it increases your blood oxygen level for about three hours afterwards. So it's good to do before exercising, before doing something that will take a lot of mental or physical stamina. So now that you're doing that, can you hear me doing it? Um, I can see you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can you see me on the? How do you see me? Yeah, your video's on. Oh, it's on. Yeah. Oh, wait. Well, let me shut it off. <laughs> Has it been on the whole time? 
Um, yeah, but usually you're not in the frame. Okay, I'm going to stop video. I'm, do you want me on video? Oh, it doesn't matter. Either way is fine. Okay, okay. So you saw me doing it. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's um, funny. Did I pick my nose or anything like this during the... Oh, nothing. Okay, you just good. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Um, yes. And so now that... So take one more big inhale, one more big exhale, and then another big inhale, and then just release. And then as you release, set an intention that you will hear exactly what you need to hear for the best possible outcome that you'll get exactly the information that you need, that it'll come easily, fluently, and in a way that's very easy for you to, to um, digest and put to use. Okay. And that always helps. And then let your body get really heavy and just kind of relax. You know, you're not going to go into a straight-up meditation, but just become very present and, and allow yourself to kind of make your field because I'm going to start looking at your field and since we're not present with each other when I'm when I'm physically present with someone I have them put their hands on my hands and line up our palm chakras and that's kind of how I plug into them but when we're not physically present like this I just set the intention to look at their field and I can usually see it pretty easily so let's see okay I think I've got you and so now um, I'll just start describing what I see first. And this is where they all get kind of unique every single reading session because sometimes certain things will want to come through. Sometimes I'll ask you, well, do you have any questions? And that will kind of be my jump off point and then I'll be able to see a lot of stuff. But right now what I'm seeing about you is essentially um, that you are a loner by choice and by necessity and that you're much more comfortable with just a few people than with a large group of people. Um, and when it is a large group of people, it's not that you're agoraphobic or anything, but, but you like to really connect. And you like to really have meaningful interactions much more than a bunch of small interactions. Although, when you do have small interactions and they're pleasant, it can kind of cleanse you. So like if you can go to the, if you go to the grocery store or you go to the farmer's market or whatever you do and you have lovely interactions with the people, if you're being mindful about it, that's kind of, that can be kind of a meditation for you. And you can kind of get little, this is really interesting, you can kind of get little snippets about the universe like some people would read tarot cards or runes. You can kind of get that from your random interactions with people you don't know, which I've never actually seen in anyone's field before. This that is, that is 100% accurate. Great. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, would, I would have to say that, like, I, I do something where I every time I interact with anyone at a grocery store, or at the store, and I want a time to exchange money, I always make sure that somehow our hands touch. Uh huh. And I do that just because, but I just feel that that's like a an important little connection. It's very minimal, and it's not like I like grab their hand or anything like that. But uh, you know, I always make sure that when a credit card or something is exchanged, that, that our hands touch. Interesting. Yeah. And that's also, so, so you get cleaned by that. Your, your field gets cleansed, but also you bless by doing that. So that's a really good thing to do because you have a beneficial impact on the people you touch as well because of your intention in doing that. So that's really great. And that's a way that you're very well aligned. And if you wanted to even become more mindful during those times where you know, where you get into that space, like kind of that different brainwave area where you're going to do it. Um, if you became even more mindful and kind of dove in, even more would open. You'd, I'm seeing this like great big vista open of even more stuff that you can experience and kind of progress forward because that's like your tool, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. Um, all right. So let's see. What else we got? Um, hmm. How personal do you want to get? Oh, I can edit it out. Yeah, don't worry. So. All right. Good. Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing session here. Uh, you just heard Karis ask me um, if she could talk about some personal stuff. And I replied, uh, sure, but I can edit it out. 
uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting here with the editing program, and I'm snipping out some personal stuff. Uh, fear not. It's just stuff uh, that doesn't really meet the needs of this uh, podcast thing here. Um, it, it, periodically throughout this little thing, I may snip out some more stuff. If you hear the little tone, and the tone sounds like this, that means I've uh, snipped out a small little section, and I'm just putting it in there just uh, as my own honesty, just as far as the way I edit. That's all. Bye now. Um, it's and and that you're a minimalist, you know, you don't need a lot of stuff. But that see that is coming through. But I also you also told me you live in a cabin, and I've I've seen that you have a very functional lifestyle. So that uh, I I get I don't know. Um, sure, you're pure preloaded with with that yeah. information. So yeah. So that um, that being connected with nature is very important with you. Not so much in oh actually previously not so much in a way like digging in the dirt, having your bare feet on the dirt. So much as visually and with your upper chakras that like if you can see a lot of nature that grounds you. If you can hear and smell um, nature that grounds you. But also for you to know that if you did start doing more of the physical aspect of it, you know, have a little garden, um, make sure you walk barefoot regularly outside, then that would help ground some of your energies and you'd become more balanced. So what you're saying is that I don't walk barefoot often. Well, I'm saying that you could do it more or okay. that you do it because, well, I'm seeing you do it on dirt, not grass. Like I, it's like it, there's a difference there. Okay. Uh, Cause I almost never walk barefoot. So that's interesting. You said that. Okay. Yeah. Cause no, I did uh, more would be better. Okay. Um, all right. So let's see now what's starting to come up is like work career or, or mostly just like your real work, whether or not you get paid for it. And, um, and you're doing well with like this thing is really good that you're doing, but that there is a way that you can become even more effective at it. And it has something to do, it's not coming through super clearly, but it has something to do with uh, the amount of connections that you make and then follow through on. Because it feels like you make a lot of connections, but then there's not time to then like flesh it out all the time. And so, and that's, that's not anything having to do with your time management. You, you're pretty good. Your time management skills seem pretty good. Um, it ha- doesn't have anything to do with like anything physical. It has more to do with intention setting. And to say, okay, well, I want to have this impact and universe take care of it. And that, that it, you'd benefit if you did more of that having to do with career stuff. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Do you have any questions right now? Um, I mean, the question is always the same question. How do I proceed forward in, you know, it, to be my truest, best self? Um, I'm getting, uh, do you live by an overlook? Like, is there, is there a spot in your yard that overlooks that you have a good view? Uh, well, I live in, yeah, like I live in a beautiful valley with mountains all around. Yeah. So it's all. Okay. I'm seeing there's like one spot. It's kind of grassy. Um, it, it, it has a good overlook. So like, it's almost like, okay, so the spot I'm seeing, it's like, uh, it's, it's on kind of a slope, but the actual place is flat. So it's, it's, um, I'm not sure. Somewhere that you could get to every day with minimal effort. Okay, because I mean that. Like, I live in a beautiful place with lots of uh, easy hiking and and plenty of vistas and and yeah. uh, and. But my yard, for the most part, is pretty flat. Okay. Well, it, is there a drop off in any part of your yard? Like, do you have? Could you like just stand on your yard and? there be a drop off no like so you could see okay then it must be a place that you could walk to because it's pretty specific but essentially you're sitting on a grassy spot and in front of you you can see far um and to go there daily sit down and meditate with your eyes open then closed then open 
So first you ground with your eyes open. And I've never seen this for anybody else. Usually I see people meditate with their eyes closed. But it's as if you allow your vis- what you're seeing visually to massage your brain um, with your eyes open. And then you close your eyes and do whatever meditative technique you ordinarily do. Do you have one that you do? Uh, no, I do not meditate. I've tried a lot and I never have been able to be disciplined enough to do it. Okay, so it, for right now, it can be as simple as taking several deep breaths and seeing if you can feel your chakras or even if you can't feel each chakra, just feel your core and then feel yourself connect with the earth and feel the top of your head connect with the stars. And that can be really simple. You know, that can take less than a minute to do. Okay. So open your eyes, let the view massage your brain, close your eyes, connect, and then you can, that's a good time to set your intentions for the day, week, month, or year, whatever, or moon phase or whatever you want to do. Um, also to ask any questions that you might have and to make any, you know, intentions, requests, like you were talking about requesting things from the universe, that kind of stuff. And then you open your eyes and see what's different. Because a lot of times after you balance your energy and make certain intentions or requests, very subtle things shift that you can usually tell visually if you're a visual person, which it seems like you are pretty mm-hmm. visual. Um, and you open your eyes and see what has shifted and sit there and see if anything else comes and then you wrap up your meditation and leave. And so that whole thing could take less than 10 minutes. I mean, it could take a lot less than 10 minutes. It could take less than five. Okay. But if you- but if you make that as daily as you can, which is, I mean, you know, it's hard to get, jump into a new routine every single day from the first day. But if you make, you make, if you make a strong intention and make strong strides to go that direction, your intuition would open up drastically and quickly. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. Um, that's the main one that came through. Also, it might be a good idea for you to make sure that you're extremely hydrated, eating good food, da da da, da just to have your body working well. Okay. Uh, and yeah, that pretty much feels like it. It feels like you already do a lot of the brain stuff that you would do. Like you already read books that would enhance your perceptions. You already interact with people that are expansive as far as your connections go. You don't interact with a ton of people that bring you down. Um, and so it, everything else feels pretty good. It's just the meditation thing. And also is the, mo- the more mindfulness you can bring to your life, the better. Because since your avenue is, is everyday life, which is fabulous. I know a woman whose who's avenue for, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, divination, is her children. And wh- whatever's going on with her children is going on with her universe. And so she can look at whatever her kids are doing. And that's how she divines, which is fabulous, you know. And yours is everyday stuff. And it, it'll expand, too. The more you open up and become more mindful and say, okay, I need the answer to this, and just scan the room and see whatever your eyes fall on, you know, or see what the next word you hear out of someone's mouth is, that kind of thing, then it, that will open up as well. But this meditation thing will really help that to open. Okay. Yeah. And that's pretty much it that you need to do. And so that's not that much, you know, just a greater sense of mindfulness and the 5-10 minute meditation. Um, yeah, that feels pretty good. Okay. Oh, go on. Oh, just also the intention setting. And between those things, you should be pretty good. You're, you should see drastic changes if you do them. Now, um, one of the things I have been struggling with a lot is the reality of what I have been experiencing. Um, like, you know, like I, I don't have any direct memory of, for instance, being on board a ship or something that would confirm like my suspicions of UFO contact. So I am in a place of, of sort of existential quandary, like, a, you know, like a, this unknowing, and it has been really challenging. Well, you've had missing time, yes? 
well, 35 years ago, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not very likely that someone has missing time and then it stops. That doesn't usually happen, but what can happen is people request it to be blocked. So start requesting unblocking and request that it be gentle and that it be that it feel very safe. And the question that's coming to my mind is, do you believe in a benevolent universe or a malevolent universe? You know, um, I believe that at the, this is interesting. This is an interesting question because one of the things I thought about before we even spoke uh, was that like, oh yeah, you know, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but I, uh, uh, I think I read it somewhere. I went through a period in the, of the late nineties where I read a lot of channeled information and kind of new age books and books on higher thought and such like, and one of the things that came up was a quote, and I have no idea who it was from and I really liked it. And, uh, the quote was something to the effect of, you know, maybe in the future, you know, scientists will develop a microscope so strong that they can look at the certain particle of the universe and realize that the actual building block of the universe is energy and that energy is love. Uh-huh. And I was just yeah. like, I remember thinking to myself, it kind of rang true. And I'm like, well, heck, you know, if you're going to live your life somehow, that seems to have the ring of truth to it. And, uh, and that's how I'm going to live my life. So. Absolutely. And the thing to keep in mind for you to unlock a little tangle you have in that is that what we normally consider love on the earth plane in our culture at this time is not accurate. But you know what is accurate. You know what's accurate. And the thing that culture calls love isn't actually love. You know like the thing, the thing that you you know hallmark cards and and sappy love yeah. songs and stuff like that, and, like which it's usually addiction. A ne- I was going to use the term a neediness, like a needy sort mm-hmm. of romantic, uh, you know, like you're not complete unless you have romantic love in your life. Yes, and you you do know the difference. You you know it very strongly, but just to keep that in mind as you embark, you know. Um, let's see something else. Oh, have you read Ken Carey's work? No, I don't know who that is. Okay, look it up. It's coming very strongly. He wrote one called Return of the Bird Tribes. What's his name? Ken Carey. K-E-N-C-A-R-E-Y. His his books are very short. They're not huge novels like Dolores Cannon. They're pretty easy to read. They're completely channeled. And there are huge activators in his books. Huge. Um, and that is coming through for you. And I loved his books. I read them voraciously. And it's funny, but I haven't recommended them to anyone in uh, about a year. And now they're coming through very strongly for you. So look them up. And they're, they're from the 70s. Well, maybe not the 70s. Maybe the 90s. I don't remember. But definitely older than 5, 10 years. It's okay. not a new thing. Um, might have been the 70s. I'm not sure. So, yeah, there's that. And that will help to activate you as well. And also I'm seeing to, to pop possibly try to make time as as with as much focus and intention as you would work try to make at least 30 minutes a day for you to just purely enjoy something it doesn't matter what it is and it can change and it would be better if it does change if it's one thing this day another thing that day but that your intention is just to enjoy and it can be a walk like it really doesn't matter it can be eating a particular food that you like it doesn't matter what it is but something where you can be super present not working at all not even working in the energy form not trying to divine or something and just enjoying and that will increase your vibration as well and let you move forward faster okay here's so here's one of the things that i mean i may edit this out but i and i've yeah, also sure. been very clear about it i have suffered uh since i was about 12 years old from clinical depression and at times it has gotten brutal uh in, in 1992 93 um i had a complete nervous breakdown i would have been 30 years old and uh and the 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 act of 
coming out of that and and sort of re-entering the world again is very much a death and rebirth story and i'm not exaggerating and then uh, and and i was very much a changed person i was also very very fragile um i have been on and off medication uh, for the last 20 years sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't seem to work you know what i was i thought the medication was very beneficial initially and now i'm i'm uh, I, I you know i'm trying to figure out a way to get off the medication i presently am off the medication as of right now oh, nice. Nice. Congratulations. And that's hard. And I definitely understand what you're talking about. That runs in my family as well. I've been depressed and my father struggled with depression. Actually, I think you, you remind me a lot of him, like a ridiculous amount, kind of. Um, I bet you guys would very much get along very well. Anyway. Um, what color so, is his eyes? Uh, hazel. Okay. The and, same color as mine. Okay. And then, okay. Just was curious. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but, but he's definitely a starseed as well. Um, anyway, so two things. I have something to tell you and then something to ask you about that. One is the that grounding trick when you sit on the ground and meditate will greatly help because that's one of the reasons that you had your breakdown was that you had so much, was that too much energy was trying to cycle through and there wasn't space for it and there wasn't a grounding point for it, which is also why walking barefoot will help you. Um, and so And so it fried you. It fried your circuits. And what precipitated it? Did anything happen to push you over or was it totally random do you remember oh i remember oh i I mean what what pushed me over the edge was probably just the tape loop just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and and then till it just like took over everything and i'm not kidding i mean i was like i mean i couldn't eat i couldn't get out of bed i couldn't change my clothes i couldn't you know so Mm -hmm. uh yeah so it was bad But yeah, it had you know, like it had nothing right. to do with like anything. It was totally energetic. Uh huh. Yep. It, it's it's that that is common for for the the second waivers. And this is information I'm getting right now. And I think I think now I've I've plugged into some of your ET guides. Is that yeah, it's common for people like you. Um. So what your what your guides are? Okay, let me see if I can get them back because I unplugged and now let me see if I can. Okay. Um. You definitely do have them. That's who was in the ship. That's they. Res- that's why they responded when they said you loved them. Um, you are very highly loved. And the hu- it's funny because right before you said the word deserve, the word deserve was coming very strongly to me. And it was for now you to realize that you are a precious form of life on this planet. You are doing something very unique. Um, there is a reason for you and that you are worthy of love. And that those things are all very true. They're not platitudes. They're not lip service. It's true for you specifically, Mike, you. Um, and that, that uh, you know, it, it's a hard thing because how can you ever get anyone to believe that? You know, if you don't believe it, how can you ever believe it? But if you let yourself get into the flow and start doing the divination, the everyday divination, start doing the meditation, start grounding yourself and being more present, you will then be able to start feeling the threads of love coming back to you because love has always been coming to you. You just couldn't feel it. It was part of your thing. And, and also I think you were working off some past karma too from past lives, actually, now that I'm, now that I'm open to that. Um, so, so there was a purpose, but that now you're, you're, graduating you you have been graduating um and now you can have a more abundant emotional experience if you so choose you could choose the pain path and keep struggling back and forth and back and forth but there is the option open now to not do that anymore but more than anything it has to do with discipline and doing the things that you know you need to do and if you fall off the things that you know you need to do then you'll suffer 
you know, because you're, you'll get all out of whack and your electrical system will start to go nuts and you'll start to be depressed. But if you continue the things that you know you should be doing, you'll feel happy, you'll feel better, um, you'll move forward along your path, and you won't struggle with the same struggles that you've had. And also to take full advantage of the huge astrological things that are going on right now, um, the alignments, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to know what it is. Just know that things are shifting and ride that consciously and say, okay, this is what I choose, and this is where that intention is coming back around. What you do, the life that you do want to live, the experiences that you do want to have, even if they're just internal experiences, the way you want to feel, the way you want to think, and also to request healing and request integration of the things that you receive because mostly you do receive stuff and it hangs out in your upper chakras and you never get it down into your body, and that's important too. Um, because you are still in a physical form. So you have to have both sides of the coin. And the more you can integrate it, the more you'll see stuff show up in your physical reality that reflects what you're learning. And and uh, so just so you know that the events that talked about of the, you know, the depressive episode that got so brutal in the winter mm-hmm. of 92, 93, um, I, uh, I feel like I have very effectively integrated, moved past... Uh, made sense of that and so a lot of the the um uh you know like i, I don't i feel like i'll never go through that again and the, the yeah. sense of guilt is gone and and yeah. i and i worked hard to to you know undo those tape loops in my head yeah and you did a really good job because now you're i mean you're a good guy you're a nice guy people like you um you're smart you you do important things and you're aware of this on one level but on the other level you don't let it in sometimes yep. like when you yep, have yeah, yeah have your rough spots um but it's true it's it's just as true when you don't let it in as it is when you do let it in or more as the layers it doesn't look like a sometimes thing it looks like you let it into a certain point and then you don't let it in any deeper than that um but it's it's true on all the layers okay yeah um so to to know that and even now i know that you hear me and you believe me on the top layers um, so just to set an intention that it that it filter through because you can't force that kind of stuff but you can invite it Mm-hmm. intend to receive it and, Great. I think that's, and also one more thing I think you'll like doing ritual ritual will be helpful for you um, some people like it you know new moon full moon type thing I don't know if that'll, that'll be your thing yours might be like start of each week start of each day you know just like a little thing where you like light a candle and burn some sage or something whatever it is that appeals to you um, would be very helpful and you'll really like it. And it'll also amp up your power of manifestation, of intuition, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Which is interesting because I was so sort of, I'm sort of been so uh, anti-ritual. Like I just was right. like, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, it might be a phase. I don't know that it'll be true forever. It just feels. No, like no. I feel like, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know where I'm at right now. It's just like, it seems like I'm proceeding forward with this type of stuff. And the conversation we just had earlier where I was like, you know, I just, you know, I'm so hyper aware of synchronicities and I have made a very real, it goes beyond effort. Like I'm doing it. It's not an effort. I am actually doing it. Like the synchronicities, like I am letting those guide my life. Um, you know, the same way you would, you know, you would like a, like if you're on a boat on a foggy day in the ocean, you would have to guide the boat. So you would, the compass would guide the boat, right? So you're, and the synchronicities in a way are being the, are the compass for me. Yeah. I love that. You know, and, and I have, you know, if it, if I find one day that I reflect on it and it's like, yeah, this isn't working, I'll just drop it without any, uh, you know, and I got nothing, no attachments to it. Like, but you know, like I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, 
make sure that I don't over romanticize it in a way, but I am, I am very much trusting these synchronicities, uh, in a way that, uh, that has produced the person I am right now in, in the sense that just a few years ago, I wasn't doing this blog stuff and now I'm doing interviews like this and I'm, I'm making a very real effort to be as, as, uh, honest and, 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 uh, you know, come from a deep heartfelt level when I do these interviews rather than some of the interviews that I hear that are a little bit superficial, you know, like I'm not interested in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're exactly and you know, you know because you can feel it and you can feel the difference. So, yeah, mostly there's nothing really that it doesn't really feel like there's anything that needs to be like fixed, which is interesting because most people do have that, but I guess because you have been moving so mindfully and with synchronicities, um there's the stuff with depression that that's not really fit. It doesn't feel like it needs to be fixed. It just feels like it could be more even. Like it feels like you kind of do a boat rock thing oh, and yeah. it certain things could it could just get more even and the rest of it is all just how to move forward none of it is and and that is not common most people who i do readings for have definite stuff that is like holding them back that they have to push through but you're not really like that yours is more like the stepping forward type thing and it kind of feels like feels like right now it's like you've got your feet set and you're really good with where you are and you know you're not going to go backward but the the next step forward is kind of unclear and you're not really sure and you're not really sure if you trust it and you're not really sure what to do um and so with these few things to start maybe try them for a week or two and see how they feel see which ones to drop which ones to keep and also notice how the synchronicities around you speed up or slow down as a result um and that should help you get kind of a new GPS, you know. Okay. I don't know how to use a GPS. I, I, I teach <laughs> in the mountains and, and teach people, to, and I don't know how to use a GPS because I feel like I'm very good with a compass. So I don't well, need a well, GPS. Well, a new compass then. Okay. The only difference between a compass and a GPS is that the GPS tells you more specific directions than just where you're facing. You and know? if you lose the batteries... You better you better have a compass in your backpack anyway. So. Amen. <laughs> okay, so now, um, so here, let me just ask a few questions and just, I, sure. I'm just, I don't know what this is. So just first thing that pops in your mind or just like trust your own intuition, I'm going to ask you uh, whether it's for me or whether it's for us or whether it's for the people listening. I don't really care, but I'm just going to, what about owls? What do you get from owls? Uh, definitely related. I mean, everybody, well, not every, I, I can't say everybody knows that, but, but lots of, yes, owls definitely related. Sometimes an owl is an owl. Sometimes an owl is not an owl. You know by how you feel when you see one. Morning doves. What about morning doves? Oh, that's interesting. I'm getting a sensation in the top back of my head. Um, Morning doves, they feel like they're soothers. You see a morning dove when you're needing to be soothed and someone has sent it to soothe you. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if it's definitely an ET connection. It might be something else. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That was, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Okay. Um, anything else? Should we? Um, mostly what's coming through is a is a very serious message to like um to anyone who's listening and you know even people outside that and also oh to anyone who's listening and anyone who the listeners speak to and encourage as far as thought forms go to really think for yourself and not take any dogma anywhere because we're creating reality right now so and and it's amping up and the more the time passes and the more in line we get, the more we create it. So when you're learning more information, make sure it's something that resonates with you as truth and not 
not go to any dogma, even if it's someone who you've you've been reading their stuff for 30 years and you love it. If something comes through that doesn't ring true for you, then that's okay, and don't force yourself to believe it. Rather, start using your internal senses. The synchronicities. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is great. This is great. Yeah, so that's good. So that's a, I mean, that's a beautiful message for anyone. Um, thanks. Oh, sure. Thank you. All right. Woo, that was fun. Um, was it? I don't know. I just like it's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, well, I always keep my eyes closed the whole time. So just opening my eyes again, I was just like, okay, I can see. <laughs> okay. I, I kept my eyes closed for part of it. And then I was making just a couple little notes. Oh, and one of the things that I thought you hit dead on, I didn't want to interrupt you during the, the session there, was okay. you said that I'm too busy to follow up on connections. Oh, cool. And that rings so true. Um, awesome. where I do, you know, like, you know, one of the things that's happening is I'm meeting, you know, albeit just through Facebook and people who contact the website and, and telephone calls and such. Um, I'm meeting people with experiences, uh, similar to mine, similar to yours. Uh-huh. And, uh, we will have a long phone conversation, you know, really beautiful heart to heart kind of connections. And then, you know, like I basically, uh, realize later like wow i haven't talked to that person in six months now i had that great Uh phone call and then i haven't followed up so right yeah sometimes that's all you need and and there's there's a big gathering going on right now that people are finding each other again and again being after possibly lifetimes at least this lifetime of being separate and that goes for uh twin flame type stuff and it also goes for friends to find twin flame that's a term i've heard a lot in in the um, it's the it's the esoteric soulmate, you know. It, um, some people say that there are people who key in very well to each other. Some people say that an actual soul has been split into two and goes into the male and female bodies. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, and that might get me crucified by some people that really do. Crucified like I, New Age people? Like have have can cop an um, attitude? What are you talking about? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I I I don't I don't think that it happens these days or necessarily that it ever has that one full soul splits into two and and lives in two separate bodies fully like i do think however i do think for instance like the christ consciousness the mary magdalene consciousness the mother mary consciousness those things are very and even of the basic saints basic deities i think a lot of those um souls have split into a bunch of pieces and then are kind of like in a bunch of different people that's why you've got so many people claiming to be reincarnations of christ claiming to be reincarnations of mary and i think that often that's true but it's not one it's a lot of them Um, no it's interesting because i i look at that a different way where i've pondered that same thing and sort of esoteric things that i've studied where it's less that it's split and more that there's a like in the realm beyond us is a sense of timelessness and a sense of, you know, like we're locked in this linear time that that thing outside there isn't locked into the linear time. So, so it's less that they're split, but they can all tap into. Yes. Same thing. We're just looking at the two different ends of the string, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh huh. And that it's, it's archetypal, you know, like people have archetypes. Um, so yeah, well, I've, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Oh, gosh, that's, you're talking to me. That's, that, that's par for the course. <laughs> no, um, it's good. It's good. So here, um, so I'm going to jump. So now let's just, so you are doing uh, video blogs. 
Yes, crazy often. Like I never thought I'd be doing like a vlog a day. Which oh, is and I'm writing on my website like almost daily. Like in it, in it, <laughs> you know, like when I started, it was like oh, I'll put one thing a month up, and yeah. And, uh, so, and I really put myself into these things when I write them. I'm like I try to do a really strong clear well art directed i'm very visual very yes. well art directed job on my on my um, postings yes yes so i'm sorry what were you, you were uh where were we so you're doing video what's up with the video blogs How, how's that going well there are fabulous and it's funny because a couple of synchronous things happened um you and i were talking about that before the call you meeting up with you again was one of them that happened right in this like week long period all together a couple of weeks ago and at the same time I started getting all of these bits of inspiration to record different video logs vlogs you know and um yeah I've been like right now I have a backlist of like six more that I need to record that I haven't gotten to like every day I get more um I can't really keep up with it very well but that's good because some days I don't get one and so I just go back to my list and do one but yeah, there are a ton. And then um, I've realized lately, you know, I think all of our life's purposes are clarifying and crystallizing if we pay attention these days. And so I realized that one of mine is to kind of sort of teach, but not so much teach as hang out is what it's ended up being. And so I actually just recorded the video today and I'm going to put it up on the website today of um, a class I'm teaching here in the Los Angeles area. Also, um, you know, I do the online reading things, and so that I'm giving away a free one in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be fun. And yeah, it's just, it feels as if another activation switch has been put on. And so lots of things are going to be happening. And I travel all the time, usually inadvertently. Usually I find out, you know, a week or two or a month before I'm going to go somewhere random that I'm going to go. And so now what I'm going to start to do is whenever I travel, I'm going to contact people in that city and hold something while I'm there, even if it has nothing to do with the reason that I'm there, because it feels like it's a really important time for people to start gathering together and being able to meet yes online because that's the best way and the easiest way but also physically and kind of get these points of light going which people have been doing for a really long time consciously but you know why not do it more and in a less formalized fashion and just a hanging out and having fun my classes are called bliss out and learn <laughs> so it's mostly just like hanging out and, and eating delicious raw food and you know just talking about things and doing meditations to get your vibration as high as possible and then just talk and see what comes up and make the intention that things come up that are most transformative for everybody included. So, um, yeah, it, but that's very new. It's all very new. It feels like I've been asleep. And even though I wasn't, you know, even though I was doing stuff and having inspiration and writing books and stuff like that, I guess that's how it's going to continue to be. I mean, I love it. And, you know, I was listening to the R.E.M. song, The End of the World as We Know It, earlier today. It came on the radio. And I was and I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, most people think that a phrase like that is afraid. But I hope that it's always the end of the world as I know it and that new things are happening all the time that are even better. Because why the heck not? Like, isn't that why we're here, you know? Yep. So, um, you, so I'm going to, another person who's doing video blogs, her name is Leah and, uh -huh. um, you are friends with her now. And okay. I think we, we had a very short conversation just before this was posted. And now did, did, I think I introduced you somehow to Leah. Is that right? Did I just pretend well, that? Well, I knew about Leah and I had actually contacted her about two weeks before you emailed me with the list of a few people who you'd seen links between. So it was very serendipitous. I saw her her videos like i don't know maybe a year or two oh, okay ago. great great okay like, i didn't want to like, yeah, it felt it was, like i was like a little too self like hey hey look i look at you know i've well, got no, the synchronistic thing well, happening here the reason that that she then contacted me was because of your email 
I don't know because she's really busy. She's a lot busier than I am. She's been at it longer than I have. And so she has a, a much bigger following than I do. Um, and so we part, we've partnered up. Well, we are partnering up on a project. Actually, we'll, we'll be chatting this afternoon about it. Um, but it's interesting how, it, but it feels very kindred. And we've realized that we're going through the same things at the same time. And you, our message is very similar. We're both doing the raw food thing. We're both and how old is she? Thing. She's 27, I believe. So she's two years younger than okay. I am. Just I'm just uh, playing this wave, you know, would be, you know, you should be able to put them on the calendar and, right. and just, you know, like have the big calendar that stretches back 100 years and say, okay, here's where the first wave was born and here's where the second wave was born and here's where yeah, the third wave was born. Yeah, I have had a very, uh, uh, and I've spoken to you a little bit about this and I know I've spoken to Joe Montaldo about this and, and, and I have been making a list. I'm up to about 35 people who are... Um, uh, coming forward with their experiences were born in 1961, 1962, or 1963. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and th some of the similarities on this list are shocking. And, wow. and a lot of the people I've met, uh, I, I almost like, I just want to say I psychically knew this is, that's going to, that's kind of a loaded phrase, but I psychically knew like this person was, well, I, I, I'm going to say, I, I have said out loud, um, this person was born in 1962 and I've, you know, literally said it out loud and then asked them. And then they said, yes, I was. Um, okay. and, and sometimes I just see a little, um, Facebook image, you know what I mean? Like somebody's little yep. Facebook thing. And I'll say this person yep. was born in 1962. That's happened yep. to me a few times. Um, yep. and, uh, oh, so in, in, how has Facebook played a role in this? Huge, actually. Isn't um, that, I, I have to say yeah. the same thing. Yeah, Facebook is, I mean, the internet, it's so clear to me how it's really one of the major, major things that is allowing the shift right now. I like, agree there's completely. no coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting that, that you know, like, you know, these, how to say it, you know, like that the, the awakening of well, I'm going to like consciousness is such a strong loaded word, but let's say like people just awakening to their own experiences is taking place roughly. I have talked to so many people who have had awakening experiences between 2006 and 2008. Unbelievable yeah. pattern that I have seen. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that too or not. I'm not sure because my first, my awakening happened in 2010. Three. Oh, wait a minute. Well, I had kind of a double whammy. The 2010 was the ET awakening one. But I first woke up um, when I was in college, and I thought I was losing my mind. And I had, um, I had, you know, voices in my head, and I had crazy synchronicities and psychic experiences. But I didn't make the ET connection for like another seven years. So. And I'm like, it's interesting because I'm less concerned about the ET connection and more just like the the awareness of of. Yeah. You know, however, and then what was your what was and you you said your 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 major was or you wrote about. Uh, psychology yeah. but you said you wrote about uh profound uh experiences that would tap into another how did you say it Being oh, exceptional human experiences yes yeah that was my master's um that was in i started going to my i got i got a master's in health this was when i was an undergrad that i had my awakening right i was a psych major i did not believe in any of that stuff 
I thought I either had multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia. I had self-diagnosed myself and didn't tell anyone because I was terrified. But at the same time, I was inundating myself with all of this um, esoteric knowledge, which I didn't believe was accurate or true. I thought I was just acting like a crazy person. Um, and then the voices in my head saved me from having a really bad tra traffic accident and potentially dying one day. So I realized that couldn't be a hallucination. And then a bunch of synchronicities started happening to train me in various esoteric things. And so then I was very much involved in like earth-based spirituality, intention setting, manifestation, synchronicity, energy work for the next uh, six or so years. Um, I got my bachelor's in psychology. I got a master's in health science education where I started researching mind-body medicine. Um, the effects of essentially what I now know is resonance and vibration, so happiness and sadness on health and fitness. Um, and I had to, I, my plan was to become a physical therapist, but I had to stop because being in an allopathic conventional um, learning area was driving me nuts. I mean, I, I couldn't take it how people would, in the same breath, tell me that they didn't believe what I what I was talking about, even as they were seeing how it worked better than their methods. So it was dry. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's like, you could go that, like, that's like the thing where the, you know, like, you know, maximizing corporate profit is like something that everyone believes in, even though like all you have to do is open your eyes to see like, this is not really working, you know? Right. Exactly. And so I think I, that, the, I just think that's hardwired into well, I should be careful of hardware. It is indoctrinated. It is, it is, uh, you know, someone is, is our society is, is creating, I almost want to say like monsters. That's, that's a little bit strong of a term, but, um, something is, is unhealthy in our society where that experience is the norm. The experience of, of telling someone with a, with a degree on their wall and a, and a $600 suit that, that, you know, what you know because of your direct experience is true and they and them looking right back at you and saying no it's not true oh yeah i mean it's the same as telling someone who's been to school for 10 years that their hour of work is worth a thousand dollars whereas someone who's been doing the same thing for 30 years their hour work is uh, hour of work is worth 750 like it just doesn't make sense yeah you know um and there are lots of things like that in our current system. And people know this, and that's why we're rehauling it, you know, slowly but surely and relatively peacefully, which I'm very grateful for, that we are ha kind of having this revolution in the United States, and there aren't bloody riots, you know? I'm all for non-bloody riots, but I'm also, I'm a little bit impatient. <laughs> Me too, but you know. I, well, I'm I, very I, impatient. I, Let me put it that way, so. Like, well, and, and it's happening. Like, there are communities around that have got it. You know, there are little eco-communities, there are. It, it is already in existence. The only thing is to bring it to more of people and, and let more people see, no, you don't have to think it up. It's already been thought up. It's happening. You just have to get that out and how it works and how to make it work. And people will do and, – and that it will work because many people want to make the changes, but they don't believe that it will actually work. So if you're showing them communities that do this and it's lovely, then, you know – and it's the second part of it because the first part of it is deciding that something's wrong. And yes, we know. But then that's only the first part. And most people get so stuck on that, especially in like the political arena. It's like, yes, we know this is wrong. Now, what are we going to do about it for real? Like actually, because all the stuff that you guys are saying isn't really going to work. It's just going to change it to be another argument. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, I got a master's in health and then I got one in um, transpersonal studies on a way to a PhD in transpersonal psychology and I was about to I was beginning to write my dissertation and had to stop writing it because every time I sat down to write it I had an extremely emotional reaction a negative reaction that got stronger and stronger 
until eventually I wrote myself a little list to re you know, to re-motivate myself of what I wanted out of life and what my PhD was going to give me. And it actually convinced me to drop out of the PhD program because I realized that everything on the list was either ego-related or outdated. Things like um, my family will actually believe I'm smart if I have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh, but, but I, I definitely, I, I dropped out of college and, and uh, I, whatever, it was like, you know, like I, I was at a very, I basically was like, I just knew. I was like, well, this is not for me. This is, and I've been working as an illustrator doing illustrations for the last, I don't know, what is it, 30 years or something like that. And, and I have to say that, like, n- I put it on a resume at one point, and I don't think anyone ever read the resume. I have never, ever, ever once in all my jobs been asked, like, you know, well, you know, what did you graduate? What's your degree in? <laughs> um, they basically say, like, oh, your drawings are cute. I'll, you know, I need a drawing just like that. Um, right. So, I, I mean, I knew that before going into, you know, before dropping out. I was just like, you know, like what, you know, where my skills are at and what I can do doesn't have anything to do with college. Yes, and I've always wanted to do the same thing. Well, not always, but since, you know, for, for many, many years, I've always wanted to write and speak. And I knew that that was my calling. And somewhere along the line, I thought that I needed a PhD to do that. And then at around this time where I'm not able to work on my dissertation, even though I had the whole thing planned out, outlined, it's not that I couldn't do it, but then I, I couldn't do it, you know. And so I um, I looked at all of the people who I most looked up to and saw that none of them had PhDs. I like Jesus? Or I'm just who, who, who I'm, you know, who's <laughs> <All> <laughs> the At the time, it was people like uh, Louise Hay, you know, because that was, that was before the ET thing. Um, it was right before the ET thing. It was as the ET thing was happening. So it, it hadn't filtered into my career goals yet, you know. Um, whereas now I know that my purpose is to do this kind of ambassadorial work, you know. Um, but at the time, I realized that, I, wait a second, you don't need a PhD to write a book. <laughs> and then, I, so I dropped out and everyone at the school was lovely. And they said, that's okay. Well, you know, we'll put a note in your file. If you ever want to come back and finish, go ahead. But it's a transpersonal institution. So they kind of had to put their money where their mouth was because I was having a very transpersonal experience. And, um, and I dropped out and then my book flew from my fingers within the next several months, and it actually published the same week that I would have graduated with my diploma, with my PhD, and I didn't know that till afterwards. And that was the first book? Um, Journal of a Starseed. Journal of a Starseed. Now, when you say flew from your fingers, does that did it come from you, or was it, did it feel it like it was channeled? Me, but it, it came from me. It wasn't channeled. The second book, Instruction of a Starseed, is mostly um, transcribed conversations between me and my guides. So oh, that so that is more of a channeled back and forth yeah. conversation. Okay. Yeah, that one's more of that. But Journal of a Starseed has a little bit of that in it. It's mostly what happened. It's mostly a memoir of my awakening um, and how that worked. And then, like, the second half of the book is about the ET thing. But the first half of the book I, was before. I mean, there were seven years of awake, well, six years of being awakened in a whole awakening process that had nothing to do with extraterrestrials. So, yeah. Okay, so one of the things that's, you, you talk fast. Has anyone ever told oh, you this before? Oh, sorry, yeah. No, 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 I mean, this is good. So what I'm doing is, I wrote some notes that I want to jump back maybe a few minutes here, and you said you heard a voice in your head, and it saved you from getting in a car accident. I want to hear that story. I was driving on, I think, University Avenue in Orlando. I was going to the University of Central Florida for my undergrad, driving my, like, 92 Mazda 626. <laughs> and there was a big white van in the lane to the right of me. The, the light was red, and I was pulling up to the red light. And all of the lanes were kind of compressing at the light. You know how they do. There's a pretty good amount of traffic in Orlando. And um, the voice in my head told me that I should step off my brakes because that white van to the right of me was going to jerk over into my lane with no warning and I could get in an accident. 
and it was really fast like the whole thing happened really fast it told me to do it and it said it uh, it's hard to say exactly how it said it because I wasn't really used to mind-to-mind communication or I hadn't been since I was a very small child so I just heard I heard it you know and I tapped on my brakes before even thinking about questioning it and about a second and a half later sure enough the white van zoomed into my lane like from a dead stop like hit the gas and come and swerved came and swerved into the lane um, and that was when I really had to like sit there in the car for a couple minutes and say, holy shnika, that was not a hallucination. So what was it? It's very interesting. You were on University Avenue when you had your little, you know, your educational thing here. Yeah, exactly. Right. I haven't thought about it until right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why that means anything, but I but I have been very aware of those little things. I just make sure to... Uh, uh, Everything means something. A cup of coffee means something. It all means yeah. something. Because we're in a hologram, so nothing's here for no reason. Uh, have you, oh, this is interesting. Have you, so have you ever read a book called um, The Holographic Universe? That was, that was one of my required readings in my PhD program. Yeah. Right on. I love that book. You know, that's actually, that book shows up all the time. There's a friend of mine, Mac Tonys, who I mentioned earlier, and he, he referenced that book a lot. Um, yeah. So, oh, that's very interesting. Just recently I posted a, uh, an interview with Michael Talbot. Uh, he did a video interview. He died maybe 15, 20 years ago, uh, the early 90s, maybe mid-90s. And uh, I posted an interview with him. And yeah, just amazing, amazing Uh thinker. And so now he, uh, I I made a little list of it. Uh, He grew up in a haunted house. He had psychic experiences. He had an out-of-body experience. And he had a near-death experience. Wow. And to me, those are like, on one level, there's this blurring, okay, that this is something that I'm, that I'm like just so you're seeing as like an anecdotal pattern. There's this blurring of these, these events. And, you know, growing up in the haunted house, if I had told this, if I sat down and gave this list to uh, a UFO researcher like, like uh, uh, Leo Sprinkle, he would hear that and he'd say, oh, Michael Talbot was a UFO abductee. Right. And then if I went to someone else who was studying <laughs> shamanism, uh-huh. and then I would say, they would give that list and say, oh, there's this guy. And it's like, oh, Michael Talbot was a shaman. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so there's this blurring between, you know, the role what the UFO abductee is doing, what the, what the reality of a shaman is. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did some training in Celtic shamanism during my initial awakening. And, um, I was going through this book. It was called, and I would highly recommend this book to anyone who's, um, into shop would like to learn shamanism or even just learn meditation. Cause I think this book is why I can now meditate and speak to my guides so easily. Um, it's called by Oak, Ash and Thorn. It's about Celtic shamanism, and it's written by D.J. Conway, and it is a fabulous book, and it has all, it takes you through a shamanistic training course um, in meditations, and I would have meditations, and something would happen in them, and then a couple chapters later, I would read, this might happen in your meditation. It means you've been initiated, and... Um, Give me an know, example. Then, okay. There was one, so so in the Celtic shamanistic tradition, they believe in the underworld and the overworld, and neither one of them is hell or heaven or anything. They're just different versions and places where you can get other information. And the underworld is where kind of a lot of people hang out, and the overworld, the upper world, rather, not overworld, upper world is a different kind of place, and most of your journeying is done in the underworld. And it actually just looks like a different version of this world. I mean, it's not, it's like lots of gardens and outside spaces, which reminds me of hollow earth theory, which is definitely a whole other con conversation but that's a huge subject in of itself um which i didn't know about at the time anyway 
So I was doing this journey into the underworld and I had my little guide and we were going along and I came across this great big stone cauldron, like as big as a jacuzzi tub. Um, and this is all astral. You know, I'm sitting there with my eyes closed in a room and I'm also having this like 3D experience kind of in my head, but not in my head. Um, and, you know, I can feel things, I can see things, hear things, smell things, taste things. Um, and this book does also teach you how to do that. Anyway, so there's this great big cauldron and standing and first I look down and the cauldron is empty and then I look up and there's this woman standing by the cauldron and she was tall. She was like 12 to 14 feet tall at least and she was shining and I couldn't tell what she looked like. Her, her look kept shifting. She shifted through all different ethnicities all di and she was beautiful and every one of them she was beautiful but it was like she was morphing before my eyes like boom, 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 different so I could never get a lock on what she really looked like um, and she was looking at me and smiling and then she went to reach down and dip her thumb into the cauldron and then I realized that the cauldron was filled with this like liquid light whereas before it had been empty when I first walked up to it. And she dipped her thumb in the cauldron and she put, pressed her thumb, she like wiped her thumb across the middle of my forehead, so my third eye. And when she did, with the liquid light on her thumb, and when she did that, I catapulted out of my body and got so huge, my experience of the universe, it w I saw universes, the galaxies being born and dying and stars being born and dying and things great big things swirling and coming together and flying and moving and I was aware of cosmic consciousness and then slowly slowly I started to come back down incrementally smaller until I was in my body again and it was as if that was an eternity and as if it was just a split second you know and it's so hard to describe that if you've never had that experience because that's the only way you can describe it and the linear mind can't grasp it at all you know even though the nonlinear mind totally gets it and so then I was sitting there and I came out of the meditation wrote it down and then about two chapters later in the book the author spoke about how you might come across who it, she called Caridwen or Saridwen, who's the great um, Celtic mother goddess, by a cauldron, and that she might initiate you using what's in the cauldron. And I hadn't read that. I had no idea about that, you know, um, and it blew, totally blew my mind. And then several years later, after I had the ET awakening, and I realized that one of my spirit guides was actually a gray and was actually the same person who is my... Um, my childhood imaginary friend. Um, Chachi. After all that, Chachi, yeah. Who, it's funny, I don't think I've ever said that name before publicly um, because, because it's not his real name, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what the real name and is. And he probably couldn't pronounce it anyway. And, yeah, I'm so. sure I've asked him and he said that I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what everyone says. So, yeah. Yeah, I've, like, heard, ah, I've heard this more than know. once, so. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, don't waste your time. Um, but anyway, I was like, oh, it was a shining being. It was a star being. Later, I was like, oh, that was actually a star being. But, the truth is, I don't freaking know what it was. You know, I mean, at that point when I was then in the ET paradigm and some people who are in, in to ufology really deep then think that every single esoteric thing that happens is actually UFO related. And I thought that for about a year, you know, because I, I was in that paradigm. I was doing all, all this research. But now I don't really think so. I think that there are lots of things. Like, isn't it, didn't Shakespeare say that thing about there are more things in heaven and earth than you can consider? Than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Yes. Horatio, he's talking. Yeah. Horatio, that's yeah, he's right. He's talking yeah. to someone named Horatio. It was Hamlet said that, yeah. Right, and I think that that's true. And I think that there are multiple. I mean, if if dimensions go in every direction, then it doesn't make sense. There would only be one other one. 
they can influence this one. There are time. Yeah, there's a, a Ram Dass talked about you know the the channeling that has was taking place. I think he was he was talking in direct response to a series of books written by Neil Donald Walsh. And mm-hmm. he said, um, God books. Yeah. Which, which actually had a huge impact on me. Remember earlier in the conversation, I said that, you know, I was, I needed to undo the tape loop that was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter in my head. Yeah. It was not Prozac. Uh, Prozac certainly I was helped, but it was those conversations with God books that uh-huh. allowed me to, you know, basically, you know, I'm just have a very physical image of like, okay, let's just take the whole mechanism of the tape loop out. And okay, now that it's out, let's just not put it back in. So now the tape loop's uh-huh. gone. That was not an easy process, <laughs> but but I would say that a combination of Prozac, ten uh, percent was Prozac and ninety percent was was uh, Neil Donald Walsh's series that of books. That is amazing. Yeah, that those books contain intense activators. You could open up those books on any page, kind of like some people do with the Bible. Really, you can do it with any religion any sacred text um open it up on any page ask a question or don't even ask a question just intend to get something good and read it and then you're good and it activates things um and i was actually oh this is an interesting thing and i have never shared this before but when i was writing when i was about to start writing the book the first um, book the first book i got this because it was it was like boiling up for a while and i had to get brave enough to write it because it was coming out of the closet you know about esoterica and aliens and stuff and i got this huge download about how spiritual um and sacred wordsmithing works and how you know any living being is a code is a bunch of things like we are on a dna code and a carbon code and other beings are on other codes even other beings on this planet are on other codes um and codes don't living beings don't have to be things that breathe and move around and what i was told was that was that written works um letters words combinations of words pages if given the right intention when they're created can be living activating works and I was told to, and I saw all these visuals of like all this stuff getting channeled, like not, not channeled as like a, like a spiritual channel person, but like channeled like a hose, you know, channeled into the work as you're writing it. And so I was like, I think I thought that was given to me. So I would do it with my book. So I did put those intentions into the book. And then the book, from my perspective, the book's just me writing about stuff that happened to me. It's like, okay, yeah. And then this happened, that happened. It blew my mind. And then I had this meditation and this visitation and da 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 da. Um, but for people who read it, apparently it contains activation codes. Lots of people have told me that, like, oh, my gosh, all of this amazing stuff is opening up since I've been reading your book. And and I've never heard other people say this stuff. And, you know, and whereas from my my perspective, I'm like, whatever, I just wrote what I what I experienced. That's fabulous that you like. And I'm really grateful that I could have that effect because I would love to be an activator. But I don't know how it works. I just know that it exists and that you can do it. This is so interesting, yeah, because I'm working on a graphic novel right now, and I'm kind of, like, I had a conversation with a fellow I trust greatly. His name is Christopher Knowles, and he's uh, uh-huh. real. Have, are you familiar with his stuff at all? I, yeah, I've heard, I've heard of him. Oh, so he, he does a lot of uh, comparative stuff, almost like comparative mythology, taking ancient mythological memes and comparing them to things that are emerging in our pop culture. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. He's really brilliant at it. And, uh, um, but so I was, uh, this actually I haven't touched it in about a year, which is shocking, but I was working on a 
graphic novel. I have the script pretty much written and there's a, and then working on some of the illustration stuff. And within that graphic novel, I kind of like look at the story arc and stuff like that. And it's like, well, now that I've written it, it came, I, I am, it, it just sort of flowed out of me in a way that was, uh, uh, that I didn't expect, you know, yeah, like it just yeah. flowed out of me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I was, you know, like, well, there's the story here is kind of sparse and I wanted it that way, but just because, uh, I would be drawing it, you know, I would be writing yeah. all the words and drawing it. And I, and, and I very much wanted it to be, uh, the, a, a story of, of someone's enlightenment process. Oh, fabulous. And, and it, I mean, it totally deals with UFOs and owls and star children and aliens and, you know, lost pregnancies and, and, uh-huh. you know, crazy, dark, uh, government conspiracies and stuff like that. So it's got all the kind of X-Files ingredients. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, when I recognized that, that, that it was, that it was, that it did have that kind of, uh, trigger stuff in it you know and i kind of was doing it on you know i mean obviously anyone you say you want to write a dramatic thing about you know ufos and owls and stuff like that and you know it doesn't take much to to create like a dramatic scene but but embedded within that i felt was like a uh maybe it's my own triggering process you know it was like a reflection Uh of a reflection of what triggered me well, that's perfect, and then then you know it'll work because it's authentic, and yeah, the same thing. My I wrote each of my books in under two months. It they just flowed out. This is so. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. I wrote a book in under two months, uh, which is now on the shelf. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, except for the fact that uh, well, it's uh, you be the judge. It's a book on. Uh, ultralight camping and and the entire book it's short it's got a lot of cartoons in it and it's about there's a style of camping called um you know advanced ultralight camping Ooh. or you know so you're going out with very minimal gear uh, oh, that sounds awesome and what happens that. is and this is something I, I made i was i wanted to articulate as clearly as i could in the book without being preachy uh mm-hmm. is that and i feel like if you put this on a graph right so the the more stuff you have with you uh-huh. In the mountains, uh-huh. the the less connection you are going to make oh, thank to nature. You. Thank and then, you. I and, believe that. Yeah. And then, so so consequently, so you you take that chart and you say, okay, so the less stuff I have with me, the more connection I make to nature. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Uh, and and I, that was kind of the premise of the book. So, as silly as it sounds, there is a spiritual underpinning to that book. Absolutely. I yes. I it's easy to see. It's funny because I almost went camping a few months ago. Um, a school that I was teaching at had their high school camping trip, and I didn't end up going because just a lot of stuff worked out synchronously that I didn't go. But you know, when I was hearing the person who's in charge of it, who's a very outdoorsy guy, he's highly skilled. Ooh, he can guy. Handle- okay, just just there's a gender thing going on here. So keep going. I, I, oh, I have my well, own he, opinions. He was of male. This. You know, I yeah, yeah, know. yeah. So um, and and he he knows everything about everything. He's also an EMT. You know had incredible um, experiences with wildlife and stuff but everyone was to carry these like 45 pound packs and I weigh about 95 pounds and I just remember listening to him and and I would have I would have carried one had I gone on the trip Um, but I just remember thinking that doesn't make any sense to me (laughs) why do I need 45 pounds if I'm going to be there for three days I just don't I can't I can't possibly imagine what I would need 40 I don't use 45 pounds of stuff 
in a week, I don't think, in real life, you know? So why would, I mean, I understand to some extent, but also, and I didn't know what to do about it. And so had I gone, I would have followed the directions, but I've never heard of ultralight camping before. And I think it perfectly resonates with what you're saying, because I just remember thinking, well, that doesn't sound right, even though the guy knows what he's talking about. You know, he's very experienced. He's been trained in all kinds of stuff related to that. Well, that's like the person who's been trained, you know, like to... I should be very careful how I phrase this. You know, the person that's trained to, uh, you know, believe in the corporate hierarchy that, you know, in like stocks and bonds and, and the stock market and, and how all these things, this is actually how it works. This is a law. It's decreed. This is reality. And I say, you know, fuck that. You know, like right, it is right. not reality. And yeah. it is like, it is destructive to like a sense of humanity. Uh, Absolutely. And so where was I going with this? Oh, so, um, so I worked, f- I still work there. Uh, I'm still, there's an outdoor school. I'm just going to choose not to use the name of the school uh, uh, just because it's, whatever, it's not relevant to the, to yeah. whatever. I'm act, I'm such a weirdo anyway that I don't need like to, <laughs> but uh, so I would take students out, often college age students out for a month at a time. Um, um, I think this guy might have gone to your school. Ah, uh, that's if he took if that's he sounded like he went to the school. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say forty five pounds. Like the school I worked at, that was pretty good. You know, that, yeah, that'd be pretty light. Oh, you're gonna have to tell me where it is. Okay, okay. it begins with N. I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, I don't. So so and it's a it's a well known school, and I was felt like I was a very uh, skilled instructor. And, uh, you know, so some of the stuff that I was doing, you know, I go out in the winter for 18 days and I'll go out in, uh, or two weeks and I will go into, uh, the mountains of Alaska in heavily glaciated terrain. I mean, you're, you're dealing with ropes and climbing gear and you've got a big pack and, and, uh, in 30 days there's, you're going to need an appropriate amount of food. You're going to need, like, you want to eat well, there's all kinds of issues. You want a good first aid kit. So there's things you definitely take, you know, so, yeah. so the pack is big. Uh, but what happens is this, I didn't expect this to go this way. And, but as far as the conversation, uh, so small community, right. Of 15 people, that would be a big group. Usually you don't get much more than that. 16 would be the maximum. You three instructors, four instructors, 12 students is, is, is a big crew. Um, you, uh, you are liberated from the media. Aha. So you don't hear the news. You don't hear music. You don't know what the weather's going to be tomorrow. In order to figure yep. that out, you look at the sky. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, and if you want music, you can sing. You know, so there are things you can do. So, and, you know, in order to save weight and just sheer simplicity, you take a single bowl, mm-hmm. a single spoon, and usually just a small water bottle, and that's your cup, right? Mm-hmm. So you live for a month with a spoon, a cup, and a bowl. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. It's just fine. Yes. People people show up and they have the special, you know, folding thing where there's a plate and two bowls and then a spoon and a fork and a knife. And you say, no, no, just the spoon, just the bowl. Take the smallest yes. bowl. You'll be fine. And then what happens is there's a, there is a, uh, I guess spiritual growth is kind of a term yeah. sometimes we use. You're uh, free. You well, I mean, you still you're not free because it gets cold at night, and you you can't well, you can't let your jacket you know blow away in the wind, right? So yeah, you, you have yeah. to carefully, you know, you you have a obviously compared to the house I'm in right now, I, I you're carrying minimal amount of gear, but the the ability to feel alive okay. is heightened. Yeah, and I and and what happens is oftentimes you get very privileged kids, you know, kids that go to private high schools and stuff like that go on these things and they have a very profound experience where they recognize that uh like 
there not only is it okay to have just a cup of bowl and a spoon, and I'm using that as an example. I could use any number of things to to make my point, but yeah. it is wonderful. It is like almost yeah. magical. It is almost it's it 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 very quickly becomes beautiful just to have a right. cup bowl and a spoon, um, right. and everyone recognizes it. And then also, as a small group. And this is where I felt I was pretty good. You know, like my job as a as an instructor was to create a community. And I would say day one, you know, I'd say, listen, we're probably not going to see anyone. There's going to be someone who's going to deliver the groceries every 10 days. And sometimes that happens by boat. And sometimes it happens by horse. And sometimes it happens by airplane. But someone's going to, you know, because you can't really carry much more than 10 days worth of food on your back. Right. Um, so it's only us. You know, the circle of people here and it becomes very quickly the person who was a complete stranger becomes a closer friend than you may have ever had in your life you'll tell that person next to you things that you've never told anyone else including your best friend and then uh, and also part of the process which is which is difficult is there comes a point at the end where everyone has to say goodbye and so you have this miraculous 30-day journey where people people are confronted with what I consider almost truer realities than what we're confronted in in our daily day lives. Yes. You have better friends, you laugh harder, you sing funny songs, you you don't change your clothes so no one can have a preconception of of uh-huh. who you are like, you know what I mean? Ah, I wouldn't have expected you to wear that shirt, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're and then at the same time you're spilling hot chocolate down the front of your jacket and it's going to that same stain is going to be there for th- you know and then people get uh-huh. you know their noses peel and people you know get uh chapped lips and stuff like that so you know people look at the photographs after the course and they go well you you have chapped lips and your your sunblock is all smeared all over your face and you're wearing right. the same shirt as that other picture and you're you look dirty right and uh and then you know you didn't take a shower for 30 days you must smell bad and it's like yep i was dirty i smelled bad i had chapped lips but i was alive yes it was it, the best time uh-huh yeah, yeah it liberated many of our possessions and our and our cultural norms are uh, act as prisons in a lot of ways yeah i i'm sorry i went on my high horse there for a little while but uh, no you're absolutely right and i completely agree and and it's it's a hard line to walk um i think that it would probably be a better planet if everybody did one of those every few years I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, what you know, it's that would be. Uh, there's a lot of life lessons that come from it. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I don't know whether you know, who knows whether it'd be a better planet. I can't make that statement, but, but I well, feel like people would walk away with really powerful life lessons. Yeah, a more present place, I guess. And and in my mind, more presence usually means better overall. Hey, um, I'm not sure how long we've been going. I'm gonna look at the clock here. Two hours and seventeen minutes. How are you doing? <laughs> how are you holding up? Nice. Good. Um, anything that you feel like we should address here oh, that we missed? I don't think so. I think we've hit a lot. I have two. I have two. I, I, I don't feel bad at all that I interrupted you over and over again because some of the times that I interrupted, if I hadn't asked about, um, what did I say? I said like your initiation experience or something uh-huh. like that. But then you told that beautiful story about meeting the Celtic god in the cauldron. And I was like, wow, that, you know, I'm glad I interrupted and, and made you backtrack and tell <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a good idea with me because I'll just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> As, and I'm, I'm not shy about talking either. So, uh, okay, let me just look at my notes here. Uh, sure. Okay, here's one. Here's a question that I actually had written down. Okay, and then we okay. can, well, we'll wind down from this point. Um, so I've sat in UFO abduction support groups. And, uh, you know, it's just like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. There's people sort of 
all looking a little nervous and and they're all in a circle and then there's someone moderating the group and then some people will share extremely terrifying dark experiences brutal scary traumatic life events that have somehow intersected with them and they are not at peace let me put it that way they are angry they are and then other people in the room will share beautiful uh angelic magical experiences and um and there's a caricature there that is a little bit true where often these people will will sort of They'll be a little too glowy. They'll be a little too like Probably rosy not about totally accurate what they're saying. And then, and what'll happen is that the, I've actually seen these two people get in like like verbal fights. There'll be a clash, yeah. and and yeah. oftentimes it is the person who's had the traumatic dark experience that storms out of the room. Um, yeah, well, it's it, yeah. You know, it's I, horrible I, not to be validated when you've experienced something like that. Yeah, so I recognize that both of these stories are part of the overall UFO abduction phenomenon. Yes. That they are very real parts. There is a clash. There is a, uh, you know, how does one bridge that? How does one make sense of that, you know? Well, I think there are a couple things. Um, First of all, I'll say before I go into anything else that I've been to a presentation that claimed to be on UFO information, but that ended up being um, kind of a plug for a spiritual teacher who's emerging across the ocean somewhere in the um in european asian area um but it was at one of the most famous esoteric bookstores in los angeles i assumed the people there would know what they were talking about it was highly publicized and i went and they didn't i knew more than them and this was in the beginning of my awakening process for the et stuff um and i was highly disappointed and one of the th- and they were kind of fanatical and one of the things that happened that really frustrated me although i didn't say anything i was still too introverted to really pipe up and i didn't know enough yet i was still pretty new um but one guy in the audience there weren't that many people there maybe 20 or 30 one guy in the audience um said uh, well, he told an abduction story that he had that was scary and had to do with the medical stuff. And that's usually the scary ones, you know, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the ones yeah. that are the med- medical things. And the person on the podium who is claiming to be an expert and claiming and acting like a resource told this young man that that couldn't have happened. That if an ET were to come into contact with him, it would only be loving and essentially that he was either that he was mistaken or lying. And I got so angry because I was looking at the guy, and this dude was not lying. He was telling his experience. And I just remember thinking, shame on you, to the person on the podium, because I was like, you can't do that to people. You can't tell them that their experience is invalid. Who are you? How do you know? And especially, you you clearly haven't done your research, because had you done it, you would know that this is a common occurrence, right? So that's the first thing. And that's the baseline for what I think. But... There's more, and I think that a huge, huge amount of how any abduction or contact scenario goes is the preconceived notions, or sometimes the lack thereof, or the preconceived notions about anything esoteric or otherworldly, period, that the experiencer has. So, I mean, I know that I have had really beautiful experiences that have terrified the shite out of me. Even though something really beautiful is happening, I'm shaking in my boots, you know, because I I didn't understand and I was scared. 
And um, it, in, in retrospect, it was actually a really beautiful thing. But at the time, I was like, ah, you know. Now, that also, that, that's not something scary and medical and painful that happened to me. However, I also know of people who've had scary, medical, painful things and have told the ETs something like, ouch, that hurts. And the ETs have said, okay, I'll stop. Um, and, and, you know, when people are acting crazy, like, like I always equate it to waking up during surgery. I have a friend who is having abdominal surgery and she woke up in the middle of it and she could hear everything, smell everything, feel everything. Her eyes weren't open because she was still under paralysis from the anesthesia, but she was there and she was just thinking, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It was intensely painful. They were cutting into her abdomen, you know, like they were, they were in there doing stuff. And she could feel everything, but she couldn't move, couldn't make a sound. And she was there for probably about 30 seconds, I think she said, before the anesthesiologist noticed that her heart rate had gone up, and so he sent her back down. And, you know, that was pretty darn traumatic. And so if you wake up in a situation like that where anyone's operating on you, then it's going to be highly traumatic. And another thing is that, you know, we tag and release seagulls and sharks and tigers all the time, and it's an extremely similar scenario. Um, if the tiger were to tell it, you know, so there's, and I'm also pretty sure that I've had experiences like that that are wiped from my memory because I have an amount of terror that will occasionally come up when I see a certain image or, um, or think something's going to happen that doesn't make sense unless I've had some bodily stuff happen to me. Right. Um, but all that said, I'm still a hundred percent convinced that the vast, vast, vast majority, if not all, I'm not sure, of what goes on between extraterrestrials and humans is positive and benevolent. And I also think it's super important to realize that they can mess with our brains. The the um, last physical abduction that I experienced, which was several months ago, um, I remembered the first part of it, and then it's like I remembered that first part another two times, and each time it got spottier and spottier in my memory, like it got weirder and weirder. And in my, but it was exactly the same scenario that happened three times. And in my mind, that says, okay, well, that was a cut and paste, cut, paste, paste, because of whatever happened after that was wiped for some reason. So um, when you've got people who are fanatical about anything, either positive or negative, you can't trust their perceptions, and they can't trust their own perceptions because it's not accurate. Because when you're fanatical, then that means you're not accurate. And I have made a very real effort to be as agnostic as I can about these experiences, uh, as well as like the, what I hear other people tell. Um, you know, I, earlier you said, you know, like, oh, what do you, how do you perceive the universe as a nice place or a, you know, and I, and I kind of, well, you know, and then I had told a little story about, you know, the, the universe being made of love and which, but at the same time, I do recognize that there are, um, and I have no idea what role these experiences are playing. I have no idea what role these entities are playing, but, um, I would say, I can't give a percentage. Some of the experiences are dark some of the experiences are positive i can only assume that that there's some sort of clash of dualities taking Uh place um and so so i'm just i'm i've been very cautious to be agnostic in the whole process as far as agnostic meaning especially not to try to deify or or turn anything into a religion that right and and but um but i've heard 
enough stories from people that tell of, I'm a, I mean, almost like ritualistic torture involved wow. in, in some of this stuff. And, and whether this is a cult, whether this is ETs, whether this wow. is the evil government, whether this is uh, some They're sort all of, the above, oh, yeah. you know, like a, a collective consciousness playing a role, you know, like in some heightened way. I don't have an answer, but but I definitely, you know, so I, you know, you, I'm going to just, I'm chiming in and just saying like, ah, for my, yeah. Yeah, for my know. tipping, my, my dipping my toe in these waters, my sense is that, that, um, you know, anytime you make a generalization very quickly, you realize like that, that, you know, that's not easy to do. So, right. True. And I think that there are different ones, you know, like you can't say ET and, and expect to say that all of them are the same or that have the same agenda. Um, and, but also something that came and it's funny, but I've never had this thought before until right now. And it feels intuitive. It has that kind of jingle to it, um, is to make sure I mentioned that a lot of what happens on ships is interdimensional. So when you're on a ship, you're not, you're literally not in 3D in exactly the way that we are right now. And what happens when you go interdimensional, and this is especially true with things like entities, like ghosts, angels, guides that don't necessarily have anything to do with extraterrestrial life. Um, What happens when you go interdimensional is that your internal compass ends up highly, highly flavoring what you see. And people like, um, oh gosh, who's the guy that came up with Waldorf School? Um, Rudolf Steiner. He, he says that when you have a threshold guardian, like when you're in your personal development and you meet a threshold guardian, someone who's keeping you from the next stage to see if you can kind of put your money where your mouth is and handle what you've got, then it's going to probably be the most terrifying thing you can think of to make sure that you can handle it. Um, and if not, you're not allowed to progress. And, and it also goes for things like the bardo that some people believe that you pass through when you die, um, that you kind of go through your resonance in what you experience, which could explain some of what people experience as heaven and hell. If your vibration is one that you're more used to experiencing things like pain and fright, then everything's going to appear painful and frightening. And I'm not talking about you're going to see a glowing angel and be afraid of it. I'm talking you're going to see a slobbery, scary, chasing you demon, you know, whereas actually it might be the same thing as a glowing angel. Um, you're just really perceiving it differently. You're actually perceiving it differently. And I think that that has something to do with this. I don't exactly know what, and I've never had that thought before. So that's a brand new baby thought. <laughs> so Okay. And, and I've had that, I've had exactly that thought a lot and, and ah. I've, and I don't have an answer to it. And what all I can say is that, that, and I agree that, that the events that are described on ships may be physical and that they may be non-physical in some sort of spiritual, corporal, Ultra-dimensional. I don't even know what these words mean, you know, but, but I, but they, you know, it may take place in that other realm. Um, you know, that being so when things take place in another realm, I have to assume that they would absorb or they would just, um, like they, like the same way that, that, uh, when you put hot water and sugar together and put a piece of string in a jar if the sugar just yeah. wants to crystallize that's how that's how sugar works it just crystallizes right. you get this beautiful shape yeah. and the same thing would happen in an outer multi-dimensional non-corporal mystical realm i think it would just naturally take on these mythic 
visual, yeah. these mythic story elements. Yeah. Um, the same way it just has to. It's just the way reality works. So you know the all these myths that come back from the shamans, you know, the the meaning of heaven, you know, being, you know, our spiritual realm, the meaning of the underworld, meaning our being our our subconscious, you know, all these things seem to be universal across the map, you know, and and, right. and maybe that that it has no other choice to be that way. Uh so yeah, this is what I'm this is I guess this is what I'm really focused on exploring is that there's this blurring between the shaman the ufo the spiritual the the mythic you know there's uh you know the 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 person who comes down from the mountain after you know hiking to mount olympus to to talk to the gods um you know if someone followed them with a video camera you know would they be standing there talking to blank air? I don't know. Yes, know? that's the question. And I had I had a little download on that about a month and a half ago because a lot of people have been having, a lot of contactees, especially in abductees, have these dreams and premonitions about apocalyptic type scenarios. And there's all, also the question about what's going to happen on December 21st of this year and stuff like that. Um and on the other, and I know that those people are are really experiencing things. These are from people who didn't even know they were contactees, but are having these horrible, crazy, apocalyptic dreams, and then find out that people all over the world are having them, and you know that kind of thing. On the other hand, and so I was under the impression that it was precognitive, right? For most of the time, I was aware of those. I was like, oh, some stuff's gonna go down, and they're getting what is gonna happen. However, on the other hand. I have a friend um, who I'm actually about to start doing a radio show with. Her name is Kimberly Cochran, and she's an angel therapy practitioner. So she speaks to angels, um, and they're they're kind of different than ETs, although they're both technically off-world, you know. Um, And she's never gotten anything, and she's super accurate and can do some amazing things through her connection with these guys. And they've never – and I'm like, you know, if it were true and this was something that – we're going to happen and these guys can see different spots in the timeline too why wouldn't they have warned her she's got small children what what's the deal and i i sent the question out to the universe and i started getting this download about how um things happen in different dimensions all the time so like for instance how i've, I've done a lot of work in the past year um assisting people to be rid of entities of negative entities Um, which some people say are offshoots of your own personality. Some people say that there's something from other realms. I kind of go back and forth. I'm not exactly sure. I know that both theories have truth in them. Um, But I do know that when you're dealing with them, they evidence is something other than the person. And so you and I could be sitting in a cafe chatting, and some big, scary, negative entity gargoyle dude could roll up in the door right and no one could see it with their physical eyes and i could and i would be able to perceive him with like my inner eye and i could go and have a great big battle with this guy and you know send him off to some other realm and bless him and reconfigure his energy system so that now he's on an ascension path and wah 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 right and that would happen and it would actually happen and people who are sensitive to such things would be able to feel a shift in the energy of the room and you and i would still be sitting having coffee in the cafe and with our physical eyes, it would be absolutely nothing. And both things would be happening, right? They would really be happening. And what came to me was that, oh, so the dreams people are having and the apocalyptic stuff that's going on and the, all the prophecies about 2012, they are happening. They're happening right now. They might just not all be happening on 
the physical realm yet or maybe at all. And there also are happening on the physical realm some places. I mean, the tsunami sure was apocalyptic to the people who were there. The earthquake in Haiti, you know, all these things are happening that are apocalyptic, but possibly not all over the globe. And I think a lot of it comes down to choice and resonance. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, this is the stuff that I wrestle with all the time. This is good to, this is good to try to... Uh, articulate this stuff you know it's funny it takes a while to it's and i've said this this uh, well i've said this before um you know you talk about ufos and you know you start the conversation by talking about you know little lights in the sky and it doesn't take long before you start talking about the meaning of god right yeah. you know uh, and somehow these things are intertwined i mean in order to wrestle with these subjects you have to you can't exclude anything you know you would be doing that at your own peril um yes. and and you are forced to or i am anyway let me say i am forced to um really look at the bigger picture and, and wonder you know the you know what it all means you know in right. and not just you know like what is the propulsion system you know of, of some <laughs> metal craft you know like i'm right. talking like really what it all means like how do how do how do i paint a picture in my own small fragile mind of the greater reality well i think the fractal idea helps a lot with that it helps me a lot with it the idea that you know every atom is a solar system so um so you're you're actually literally a universe um as well as being in a universe that helps me a lot because it, it both puts the pressure on and takes the pressure off <laughs> and it makes it make more sense to think well the more the more harmonious i can stay on the inside than i actually am influencing the cosmos and my world because if you're a fractal then you're an integral piece of all of it um but that again only takes you so far and it, it it's fun to have these conversations too yeah, it sure is. And hey, um, this is going great. I'm gonna. Uh, I should probably wind this down and let you go. Um, sure. Say hi to Leah. I will. Yeah, we're. Oh, we've never spoken. Now, Leah, I'll also add, and I'm not saying anything that's that she hasn't already shared. She has shared. Uh, she has a video about her alien encounter as a little girl. Sounds a like classic, you know, gray being in the bedroom story. And then she has also written recently, I think on her Facebook page, something to the effect of, and I want to be careful how I say this, just that, you know, like, oh, there's more going on than I've shared. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's the, the public thing is hard because um, so much of it, when it's your own experience and it can be taken a bunch of different ways, then it's not always safe. And I don't think it's always necessarily physical, physically safe in the world we live in to come out with everything because it, it might be fine. It might not be, but there's definite reasons. I mean, I was afraid when I published journal of a star seed, I was actually afraid because some people who've done that stuff have died. Some people who've done it have had bricks through their windows. Some people have had government people show up at their door. Luckily for me, I, I don't get told anything about any type of technology or, or anything. Mine is more about chakras and ascension. So, and I've, and I've asked them to keep it to that actually, because I'm like, yep, don't want to deal with the MIBs. Thanks. Yeah. It's um, interesting. And I, and I have um, been, and I've said this before, there's a few stories that I haven't shared. They deal with other people. I'm just choosing not to share those stories publicly because they deal with other people's, you know, private lives. And, um, but, uh, I have found, uh, for the most part, very little negative stuff has, has reflected back at me from, from being as open as I have been about, about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Same here. It was actually thrilled. Like, 
I, I tell people because a lot of other people are afraid to come out of the closet too and everyone's stories are different but it was actually shocking how little negative feedback came back and and i'm gonna say this is gonna jump back to something we talked about earlier in the conversation that has to do with the internet the internet has had an impact on our present reality in the way we deal with uh these subjects um you know i just look at what happened to whitley streber when he came out 25 26 years ago with his story um and how he was collectively like you know, shit on by the world, uh, as the academic community and and the writing community. And, you know, like he was laughed at on the Larry King show and, um, you know, and, and that has changed. Yes. I also think it's the timing in our evolution as a race, humanity, because, you know, they say like, I, I forget who it was, but I love this quote, you know, when it was the time of steam engines, steam engines came. And I kind of feel like it's like that, like there's something else driving us as, as like archetypally as an entire race and a planet that I think it's just becoming the time where we stop being such an isolated island in the cosmos. I see us as indigenous people on an island thinking that there cannot be anything else across the ocean because we can't get across the ocean. And eventually there, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to think that everyone else would be at the same stage of evolution that we are. Of course, there are places older than us, sometimes much, much older than us. I've been told by my rhythm teacher, my main guide who's a who's an et but not he's a gray but um a specific type of gray there are some there are some of the grays that are like actually gray and there are some that are kind of blue and like shimmer in this interesting way and i've actually been told that that has something to do with whatever dimension you're looking at them in like how certain stones can sparkle underwater and then you bring them out of the water and they're just dull gray stones kind of like that same effect but in any event i've asked him where he's from and he said that he can't even really say because so much of that race's evolution was done on the ships after they left planet that they don't really belong to a planet so um and now i say that that could be metaphor you know that could be just a story the same way that if like a little child says where do babies come from you would say oh the stork brings them you know in a little basket you know and and um you know that so i'm not saying that he didn't say that it's just my first reaction is to say like oh this is of some sort of metaphor you Um, never know it could be but then again there are people from pleiades and venusians and you know Andromedans and all that kind of stuff that'll just tell you where they're from. And I don't, I don't know why. He, he, usually he tells me stuff. Like he's never, uh, I don't think he's ever just said no when I've asked him anything. Um, he's told me that. Well, well the, no, and I also think he that said the, it doesn't matter. Some, and, some things I'll ask him, or he'll say I'm digressing. Yeah, and I also think that the is this the character that 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 has the back and forth conversation in um, the the second book? Mostly, yes. There, there's him I speak to, and he represents a group. And then there's an actual group I speak to who kind of speaks to me in a collective voice. And both of them are represented in the book. But he's, he's my main guy. Like, he's the main one that I end up interacting with um, when I interact, you know. This is so interesting. Now, um, uh, yeah, like, like, you know, you just use the term... You know, you know, we're an island in an ocean, you know, and then I very quickly pictured the Earth in outer space. Yes. And I think that that is too simple. You know, I think it could <laughs> be, right. it, it could is. be like, cause you, to get to some place in outer space, right? You go build a metal spaceship. You've, you know, presently we That's can't quite do it. Do so maybe a few years down the horizon line, you know, that, that there's going to be a different kind of spaceship and then, and then, you know, we can go to other places in the galaxy and it'll be just like Star Trek. But I think it's, it's more, I think that there'll be more, I think you are, you, you, you 
are more of a representation of the way I feel this is probably going to unfold. It is not going to unfold by someone listening to a giant telescope or, you know, listening thing, trying to pick up radio waves from outer space. It is going to come from, uh, you know, people having their own individual experiences through the contact experience that you described, which sounds less that it has to do with metal ships and more to do with a spiritual awareness as well as, uh, you know, like your own meditative practices. Absolutely, yes. And that's the thing. I mean, people who, I would say anyone who gets abducted a lot, learn to meditate. You'll understand what's going on a lot easier because it, it, there are so many tangles in the mind. And, and they were not, our minds aren't supposed to have as many tangles as we have, especially in our country. You know, people's blood sugar, they eat all day by craving and crashing, like constantly. And I do that people sometimes, are, yeah. <laughs> people are addicted to caffeine, to cigarettes, to alcohol. All these things muddy you up. And it's hard to perceive the world you're in, much less the finer dimensions that aren't so um, dense as this one. And I think that I, I know that that's where a lot of these beings reside is literally not in this dimension. Possibly not all of them. So maybe some of them do live here. But, you know, a lot of them, most of them are actually in higher just because they're numbered higher, you know, dimensions, not morally higher. Although it does end up being that way, too, because they're not so stuck in duality as we are, and they understand things a little bit better. So um, there's a woman named Anya Briggs. I don't know if you've heard of her. I've heard of her. I don't know how, but she's... Uh, I think that was probably Joe Montaldo talking smack about her, but but I'll be careful what I say there. (laughs) So uh, she uh, has a very intense story. Uh, and she is very forthright the way she shares it with what I respect greatly. I've had done a number of psychic sessions with her. She was integral to my, I guess, awakening. That's as good a term as any. Um, she played a big role in that. And um, during one psychic reading, she said, you know why you're so fascinated with channeling, Mike? It's You're so fascinated because you are so close to becoming a channeler. Mike, oh. if you meditated for 15 minutes a day, by the end of the month, you'd be channeling. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I I definitely saw some big changes. I didn't know that it was channeling, but I wouldn't be surprised. So so she and said that to me, channel. and that was like one of the things was like my gut reaction was like, oh shit, I can't start meditating because like you know, uh, like I'd be freaked out if I started to channel. Mm. So well, I mean, I know for me it's a choice. Like I I can I don't I don't channel. Um, I don't channel actually. I can automatic write, but I've been told many times by my guides not to do it. They're like, don't, you're more than a secretary. That's not your job. And I was actually told very many times, and now I don't think it'd be an issue. I would just say no. But I was told very many times not to let it be publicly known that I could do that because people would just inundate me with questions about like their Uncle Charlie and stuff. And they were like, no, you're, you're not a secretary. Do not do this. So now, even when I speak to people's guides, it's not as much of a channel. It's like I'm having a conversation with the consciousness rather than it's using my body using my mouth and i think that's nicer personally like i would rather do that than just have someone come up and take residence i know there's some really amazing stuff that comes like the seth material and the abraham pick stuff it's all just and and more you know it's all just really beautiful stuff but i think i like what i'm doing a little bit better than a straight channel i think it's nicer my personal preference i mean that's one of the things that fascinates me about this whole process is that you know there's such a incredibly rich diversity like that like the the how to say it you know like the the conversations with god book is going to land in the lap of the person who needs it and then the person you know sitting next to them you know may need something completely different and so all of these things are available you know to us 
whether through a bookstore or through an online thing or you know um you know now i'm now we're just sort of getting to this realm of like you know the definition of god you know like you start out talking right. about little lights in the sky and and then very quickly that you um that is i mean i was you know like there's a sort of side to the new testament where you know basically jesus says you know the kingdom is within you yes it's a and, it's vibrational yeah you know? so so does that mean that like like how to say this does does the universe when you need help do they send an angel to sort of carry you across the the darkest chapter of your life you know in if you in a, let it if you accept the help or does it send you a book well, yeah, same thing, right? It, it is, you know, like if it's all a hologram, like you sort yeah. of like, you know, which is as good a definition as any, I think, of like, you know, what we're dealing with as far as yeah. consciousness and reality, you know, like well, what's the difference, whether it's an angel that, you know, comes in, in a toga and, and with an aura and a halo or, or is it a, uh, you know, is it a book? Is it a chance meeting with somebody who says just the right thing, you know, so. Right, right. I think it's whatever works best for the person and whatever the person's willing to accept and that ends up being a lot of shamanistic stuff, too. I've been studying, um, well, like self-studying because, you know, I think other people talk about it, but it's more a self-discovery type thing, like just shamanistic living, which is essentially what you and I were talking about earlier, which is seeing the messages behind everything, not taking anything for granted, and how that can really clear up your path a lot. But but I do think, I mean, I've experienced heaven a few times, and in a vibrational way, I had times where I was sitting there in some situation and looked around and said, oh, my gosh, I'm in heaven. This is heaven. Um and everything just felt so incredibly perfect. You know, and I was sober and it wasn't like, you know, a mind trip or anything. I, and I was actually very grounded and aware. And I remember starting a work about three months ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it was halfway channeled, but it was channeled from my own higher self, which is an interesting way of writing. And I didn't, I haven't done that much with it. I only got a few pages out. But it was this huge uh, monologue type thing on how one of the problems with virtually all organized religions on this planet is that they told you you had to die in order to get there, and you don't. Um, and that it's, it's like you can, you know, that's one of the ways, but it's actually a vibrational thing, and it's all right here if we can just pay attention close enough to the road that gets us there. And as far as, like, the God thing, the way I've always seen God is working is that, like, like with our body, you know, you have your overarching consciousness, and you have the consciousness of each cell in your body. And each cell is a living being itself, and each intracellular um, organism, like your mitochondria are each alive, and, you know, your nuclei are all alive. And, and so you can And, say, and there's, like, a sentience in your blood cells. That's one of the things okay. that, like, like you know, the, when they, you look at the little blood cells going through the capillaries – you know, trying to get into your alveoli, they are under a microscope, and this is baffling to scientists, uh, they are acting like little living beings. They're very they organized, are, they're very they're polite, on. they go one at a time, they let the other one go ahead, you know. They with each other. Yeah, they have relationships. Do they really? Uh, well, think about a white blood cell. Oh, I guess they do, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and when you get really stressed out, you have autoimmune reactions and your body starts attacking itself, you know. Um, but anyway, so I think that we are all each like, you know, a liver cell of God. And so there's us, the consci a consciousness of like a person. And then there's the great overarching consciousness that's so much more complex and so much more 
uh, evolved because it's made up of all of us. Like, how did the first mitochondria get into a human cell? There, a mitochondria is not human. That is a completely different life form that lives in our cells and allows us to synthesize food. They're not part of us. They are in there. And it's like, it, that, that alone just makes your head hurt because... <laughs> because we're coexisting so i think that that's kind of how the god thing works but then again it also goes down you know so then we are the overarching consciousness that tells ourselves what to do and then the molecules and then the atoms you know and then the subatomic particles who who also all have consciousness and perhaps have consciousness on them i'm i'm very sure that each atom is a solar system and that's why the atomic bomb that guy who set it off said i'm the destroyer of worlds because they knew i mean that's an opinion I don't, I don't know that. The guy didn't tell me that himself, but I think so. Here, let me just uh, – this is, this is going great, but, but I'm just going to – I'll wind it down here eventually. But um, you talked about having this uh, expanding and expanding and expanding under uh, – when you were meditating. And yeah. you saw the universe is being created. Can, describe a single star in that, in that memory. Let's see. Oh, this is interesting. Well, first of all, I didn't see a star, one star. I saw a star nursery. This is funny because I haven't unpacked this since it happened. So this is the first time. And that was like, you know, seven years ago. So I'm going back into it. Um, did you write it down or journal it? or? Uh, I did, but not, not specifically enough that I could tell you what a star was. Um, a star nursery, so a cloud of gases that were very, actually, I'm thinking about it, very pastel in color and, and luminescent themselves you know so they glowed in space it wasn't dark um and i wasn't i i didn't go in i was from the outside looking and it was almost kind of bowl shaped or something but, oh this is interesting so i guess at the bottom of the bowl maybe it went into another dimension because it didn't look deep enough for this to be happening um and emerging from it were stars but and i was kind of aware that there were the building blocks of stars in it but that also yeah it didn't you didn't see the bottom of it. If you went around to the back of it, it went like the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, it was like a portal. But it, it was very, and, and the ones coming out of it were different shapes and sizes and were very delicate. And it was understood that they would grow after they were out. Now I'm going to ask a super leading question here. Um, did they have sentience? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, this, each individual star? Of course, the sun does. Okay, no, I just was that. That's because oh, I, I asked you that. Okay, okay, you, you, because you never said that, and I was listening very carefully, waiting for you to say that because that is one thing I've heard whew, from more than one person when they have what they describe as like the, you know the I am experience or like almost I am God experience, where they like can be projected out of their own identity and then look at the universe in a timeless way and they that's one of the things they say and they'll say something like you know like oh and i looked at each individual star and it had its own life sentience oh yeah and you stop being so racist about what can be allowed to be alive you know because humans are very racist <laughs> not not necessarily the races in between humans although they are many of them but they're just scared of things and think that other things aren't real like um about say the davic fairy realm it's like what worse racism can you get then there's no such thing <laughs> like how how more can you get but i will say um that i had this huge download once about how our sun is alive and how um if you're touched with a photon 
but from the sun, you know, like a light particle, that's like its fingertip. And so every time the sun shines on you, the t- sun is actually touching you and feeling you. Um, and and the thing that makes, and this just has popped into my head for the very first time about two minutes ago as you were talking, is anything that can create that much life, how so much life is created by sun and things that get enough sun are more lively, you know, so much life. How could it not be alive? How does that even make sense, you know? Um, unless you sort of take a totally materialistic, closed-minded view of it, and then you could say, well, of course it's not alive, don't you? You know, like, how could how, how could you even think that, you know? Yeah, but you know, if you take a because material- I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, just because whatever, you know, like I got my degree at a fancy college and, you know, and I studied, you know, astronomy and, you know, one ever talked about the sun being alive. So you're wrong and I'm right. Um, right. You know, true. that, that you know, the prejudice that's just interwoven but, into our everyday everything. Flat earth. Yeah. And then dogma is is really weird about that kind of stuff, because if you take a totally materialistic viewpoint, you can't explain how the brain works. If you are also up on brain science, if you also are paying attention to neurology, a totally materialistic viewpoint does not explain how the human brain works. So if you're going totally materialistic, you and if you're really committed, then you automatically have to become a vegetable. <laughs> yes, yes, but then, you know, that can be explained away by someone saying, like, well, we'll invent a better mic- microscope next year or, and, or a better CAT scan, and then we'll have all the answers. We're so close, and, you know, you, you sure. know. So, yeah, so I'm just, I mean, I, I, I agree completely that that there's something yeah. more magical going on, and, and I love that term magic. I use it all the time, or I use it carefully. I use it, I use it as a... Um, you know, to make an impact because it drives some people crazy. And I love doing that. Um, but I, I do recognize that there is some sort of inherent magic at play here. Um, and then, you know, and, and, and I, that, that allows me to be a little more at peace with it because, uh, it, it drives me, you know, like whatever, this is challenging stuff. It makes me crazy sometimes trying to figure out my place in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've got your place, your places as a connector and a disseminator of information. It seems to be to me. Great. Um, uh, we'll have to f- follow this up again. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, this is good. This is good. I'm glad this is exactly the kind of interview I wanted to have because I had heard some other interviews with you and I was just kind of like, you know, like, oh, oh, like they're not going deep <laughs> enough. They're not going deep enough. Yeah, there's never enough time, right? Until, until you talk for three hours and then it's perfect. Like, yeah, well, three, almost three hours yeah. here. So um, uh-huh. uh, the any of the private stuff that took place during the reading back and forth, I'll make sure to snip out. And I may at the end include a little bit of our pre-conversation that we had on Skype that got recorded. Um, just because some of that was interesting and, and, um, great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. This was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. Great. And I'm so glad you sounded amazingly clear. You sounded as clear as, uh, you know, I don't know what your micro, your, your headset cost, but, uh, 35 bucks from Target. 35 bucks well spent. You sound great. So thanks. Wonderful. Okay. I look forward to hearing it. Let me know when it's up. Uh, It'll be up in a few days. Great. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in here at the end. Uh, I, I just got to listen to the entire interview again uh, during the editing process, and I got to say I really enjoyed it. We covered a lot. Uh, both her and I talk fast, uh, for good or for bad. We both uh, have the gift of gab in the um, most chatty pants kind of way. Uh, very conversational. We strayed all over the map. That's just fine with me. Um, I have no idea what you, the listener, might think, but uh, I I did have a few extra minutes that I can tack on to the end, and there's a couple small little things there that are are interesting. It's probably less than 10 minutes. This little bit of extra audio is uh, when 
Karis and I actually connected beforehand. We had just uh, first said hello on Skype, and uh, so you hear us talk for a little bit, and then we say goodbye, and then, you know, whatever, 10 minutes later we call back, and that's when the actual interview proper started. There were a few little gems on this, though, that I thought were... Um, you know, if if you enjoyed the the first uh, two hours and forty five minutes, you might enjoy this extra little ten minute uh, bonus at the end. The, the the little audio clip starts where I am using my computer and uh, sort of uh, pointing the camera around the room so she can see a little bit of myself and a little bit of my funny little humble cabin here. So that's how it starts. Hey, uh, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. There's me, unshaven in my incredibly filthy <laughs> my house. That's kind of a... Uh, oh, don't even... Yeah, yeah. No, so here, I'll give you a little, a little tour of what it's like to live in Idaho. This I just got back from a camping trip like two days ago, and, and then I, I got back and I hung everything up. There's my sleeping bag and... Um, and uh, wow. Can I... Can I? Oh, if I could show you the mountains out the window. See that window there? If I could actually lift the computer yeah. up. Um, I have a, quite a nice view of uh, Grand Teton National Park out my window here. Oh, wow. That's great. I mean, you, it looks like you have a very, like, nice homey space. Like, it, I'm staying with my sister right now, so I just travel all the time. Yeah, let me see. I'm going to give you the... Here's, like, there's the... Yeah, I mean, I live in a little cabin, and it's funny how many books oh, I have I stacked up. I love all the wood. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's all... I, I made my own shelves and stuff for my bookshelves, and I, I visit cool. people, and they have beautiful um, bookshelves, and then they have really bad books on the shelves. And I have uh, really yeah. crummy bookshelves, <laughs> and I have really great books, and I think that that sort of defines me in a way. It's just if you're going to run your own radio show. Yes, thank um, you for the tips. I've never done it before, but someone said, "Hey, do you want to?" And I said, "Sure." And who's <laughs> who's is that person? Does that person named Joe? No, Joe didn't ask me to do one. Um, I actually just saw him last week, and I went to New Orleans for a few days, and we had lunch and ended up talking for like six hours, of course, as usual. But This is so interesting because this happens all the time where there's like this – there's two levels. There's like this level of of, – uh, you know, well, folks will share certain things. Uh, you know, they'll sh- they'll go right up to the line and they'll share some things. I have talked to so many UFO researchers that basically kind of like will say like, well, you know, off not, the record. Yeah, off yeah. the record. You know, like I'm an abductee and this happens and you know and I but I you know and I'm like and it's it's like I don't want to say a hundred percent of like UFO researchers, but it's close enough <laughs> that You're that I just assume. Like yeah, there's certain stuff that could get you a brick through your window. Like, I hung out with Giorgio Sukalos, you know, the guy from Ancient Aliens? The, with the, the hair, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just so funny how people are so cool in person, but then publicly, I mean, I know I've had a few experiences that I'm not going to share publicly, at least for a while, because I'm like, oh, I don't want to get people scared, you know, and I don't want to freak them out, um, because who knows what people's interpretations. Like, I have comments on my video channel that are like, you're the devil. I'm like, well, clearly not, <laughs> because... I'm not telling you to do stuff that I think the devil would tell you to do, but um, you never know. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you're the devil. And <laughs> um, at the same time, I just think of there's a few stories that I could share that I don't. And the reason I don't is just because they involve other people. And uh, and they paint this picture of, I don't know, it's just the, 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 the whole thing is so much stranger. Yes. It is. Yeah, like stranger in a, in a way that, that, how to say it, it takes it out of the realm of 
flying saucers on metal spaceships and puts it into the realm of like metaphysical magicians who are you know the same things that a that a that an ancient shaman may go sit on a mountaintop in order to talk with mm-hmm. does that make sense i mean it yep absolutely and the and the shaman the medicine men were doing the same stuff and ta- often talking to the same people there's a, a couple authors that when I was having my awakening were really helpful for me. One was Lynn V. Andrews, and the other one was um, Mary Summer Rain. Oh, I know even neither like of them. White, blonde-haired women who went and trained with Native American shaman. And, um, and so they essentially wrote kind of the same things that my books are like, this is what happened, and it was crazy, and this is how I dealt with it. But in one of them that I was just recently reading, maybe six months ago or something, in the end, and this is Native American, this is not about ETs, nothing like that, but what her Native American teacher told her was, okay, now you're doing a final test for this stage of your training. Go up on top of the mountain, here, lay in this circle. They did a little ritual. The teacher left and said, all right, well, um, if you're still here in the morning, then come down and I'll know that you're okay. And if not, I know that you're gone. And so, you know, it's a big test. And flying saucers freaking came. And she passed out, and she woke up in the morning with a sunburn, and, you know, that was the end of the book. And it's like, whoa, and they've done that forever. That's always been the use of that mountaintop in this ancient Native American tradition. So, And where was this? I'm just picturing South Dakota. Um, I believe she was in, like, somewhere in the Northwest. I'm not exactly, I don't remember. I'm sure it would be an easy thing to find out. Um, her books are pretty common. But, um, like, like, Northern California or... Oregon or I'm not sure. I don't think it was California. It was one of the dry desert states though around the Northwest. Huh. This is interesting. Okay. Cause that's the, what I do. And I say this in a way where like, like, and it's happened to me enough times now that I trust it. And when I'm feeling genuinely motivated in like an honest and sort of ego free way, um, not just like impatient or something like that. Uh, I will go out into the mountains alone. I will sleep out under the stars. And then I will, what used to happen is I used to have really profound dreams and that, and that's not happening anymore. And what's happening now is that um, like I'll wake up and nothing has happened, but I will within, oh, a day or so have like either like some intense thing happen, whether that's a synchronicity or something or, um, you know, I have a couple stories where I, uh, like I got home and checked my email and at the exact time that I was like basically making like a, I don't want to say a ritual, but that's as good a word as any, like a ritualistic sure. plea to the universe. You know, like I'll say it very formally. I'll actually record it. I carry a little uh, voice recorder and I, um, like at one point there was a person I had a missing time event with when I was 12 years old. I'm almost 50 now. And, um. I'm actually the ex- almost the exact same age as Joe Montalda, which mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we uh, so anyway, I I uh, there was a person that in 1974 I had a missing time event with, and I have not been able to get a hold of him. And when I came mm-hmm. home from that event, and I was searching hard, like I was like you know uh, spent a lot of time. Very he has a very common name, and he no longer lives in the state that I grew up in. So um, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't look that hard. I could have hired a detective or something, but I, I was that sort of at that point um and i you know basically right a little bit before 10 o'clock i made this plea to the universe i got home i checked my email and then at 9 48 p.m this person named mike contacted me through facebook and said you know mike wants to be your friend on facebook and this happened at 
like, I mean, it could have potentially been to the second that I was asking for help. Wow. Oh, and you're saying, uh-huh. wow, and I could, I have about, I have about 10 more stories like that. And that one is actually one of the least impressive ones. <laughs> so, um, and that, like, to tell that story correctly, you know, and all the associated weirdness yeah. would take about, you know, two hours. But, uh, yeah. um, hey, let me, let me um, hang up. And then I'll, I just need to do a few things. I'm going to make a small okay. cup of coffee. Just that's one of my things, and then just organize my desk a little bit. But um, and have you listened to any of my audio interviews? I think I did it. The one we with first Joe got in touch, and then I didn't since. So it was several months ago. Okay, so that was one with Joe Montaldo. I think is I probably yeah, had. I think so. Yeah, so that was actually a pretty good interview, and I was I felt good about that because he's like when I listen to him, sometimes I want to like scream at the computer and like you know like whoa whoa back up back up buddy <laughs> like you just said something and you need to clarify that he'll drop these bombs sometimes that that uh-huh. i'm i'm just like yeah <laughs> uh so so i end up with and that's part of the reason i i give joe a hard time because i i have i'm really proud of the fact that with very little effort i can get super high quality audio um on these on these um on these podcast things, you know, I'm not using, you know, I'm not using anything. I mean, this little thing on my head costs 19 bucks and, and the, um, you know, the technology is all embedded in my moderately priced computer. And, and, uh, so, uh, it's great. It's really for the masses these days. It's one of the cool things about being alive right now. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, there's like a, you know, even if we turn the clock back 10 years, you know, and then 20 years, like in order to do a show like this, you would, you'd have to be like, you'd have to get in your, car drive to the radio station you'd have to like have an appointed time you'd have to have a few technicians doing everything for you um and then at the end it would just be an hour long and it would go poof into the to the ether and and no one would ever be able to listen to it again yep um and now you know i'm doing it completely on my own you know i don't have any constraints there's no time period if we want to go for you know for an hour if we want to go for three hours it's just conversations have a life of their own and we'll just see how it goes so um mm-hmm. do you, you how are you doing for time do you have to be anywhere at... no i'm i'm clear i have a leia and i are having a skype date at four thirty. did i introduce you to, to her oh i can't hear you did i introduce you to her um no she uh she and i actually met super serendipitously just before your your thing was really well timed i saw her videos i'd seen her videos a really long time ago and was like oh yeah kindred spirit whatever but then about a month and a half ago i saw her videos and was like oh my gosh we're supposed to do a collaboration i just knew that we hey i think we're supposed to do a collaboration she emailed me back and said yes sounds good i'll get back to you um i'm really busy i just got back from camping so you know and uh and then she didn't reply but she gets tons of stuff and i was like oh whatever must not have my intuition must not have been right on par but um, but then about three weeks later, I get a random email from her saying, "Oh my gosh, I just came across your channel and I love your stuff." You know who? You know who? You. you know who got your? You know how she got your channel? I have no idea, but she for me, forgot it was. Oh, she did. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, and she she didn't realize that I had just emailed her like two or three weeks before that. And so, yeah, we're working on a couple of things now together because your email actually, because I had been, it had been floating up in like my <laughs> seventh and eighth chakras, this, this idea that you ended up solidifying because, and I hadn't really gotten to grab it because I hadn't been at the right resonance. And it came down. I was like, holy crap, you're right. We do all have the same message. We even look oddly similar, even though we're all. You're not Canadian. You're not Canadian. Yeah. What's that? You're not Canadian. No, not Canadian. Totally different ethnic groups. 
like totally different. And then also this stuff has been coming up for me lately about the hybrid program. And people have been asking me, have you considered the fact that you might be an actual hybrid and that like you might have been implanted in your mother and be a real hybrid? And I was always like, uh, no, not until right now when you said something. And I think back on the stories of my mom's pregnancy and my birth, which are all extremely odd. And I was like, hmm, and then this happened right around the same time that you said that email and I was thinking about that stuff. And, yeah, things are just going crazy lately. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're just, yeah, yeah. you're not saying anything that I don't already, like, feel like I'm immersed <laughs> in. So, um, okay, so oh, here's a question. Is, how's your name pronounced? Karis. Karis. Okay, Karis. Okay. Yeah. I was going to mm-hmm. say Sharis, but that's um, – okay, yeah, I'll, uh, let's hang up. I'll call you back in less than 10 minutes, and then, and then we can get rolling. Sounds good to me. Okay, and it's great. All right. Bye. Bye.